Have you ever wanted to start your very own podcast? Sorry, that's a dumb question. Of course you wanted to start your own podcast. Podcasting's amazing. Head on over to Blueberry.com. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. Use promo code GAMEPINIONS. And then you, that's right, you listening to this right now, you can have a free month of podcast hosting service. And also, if you take that promo code, you can also get a free month of stats so you can keep track of that podcast that you're working so hard on. Blueberry is incredible, and the features are simply amazing. I don't have time to talk about them, though, because I have to start my own show. So after this episode of Game Pinions, make sure you head on over to Blueberry.com, look up what it is all about, use promo code Game Pinions, and get started on an adventure of a lifetime. Welcome to Game Pinions episode 26. I'm your host, Calman, and today I'm joined again by the man who's always out of bubblegum, TJ. Hey, it's good to be back after the long weekend. Yeah, I hope you guys had a great 4th of July. I had a pretty good 4th of July. How about you? It was okay. Yeah. Did you do anything special? Uh, No. Well, you know, we had a typical family cookout, which was nice. Uh, we had some ribs. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. So Ooh. yeah, that was nice. Yep, that sounds good. Mm. Um, we had some fireworks. Oh God, yeah, um, fireworks. Yeah, not anything like crazy, but they were they were nice little fireworks. Yeah, here it sounded like there people were firing guns off. I uh, feel like just that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, not not just necessarily on Fourth uh, of July, but the days leading up to it. Yeah. Like, what is going on out there? To me, it sounded like people shooting guns, not fireworks. But, I don't know, that may be because we're surrounded by trees, etc. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've actually noticed that, too. Like, it just at random times, even throughout the year, like, people launch off fireworks or guns or something. Uh, I don't really know why. Yeah, that's <laughs> the difference about living down here and opposed to living up there. Yeah, so, um, yes, we had little fireworks. Um Besides that, we didn't do too much on 4th of July. However, I do have some updates for what I did uh, during the weekend. So I finally got to see um, Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. Okay. How'd you like that? It was good. I liked it a lot. It. I don't know if I loved the story, so to say, but just the overall creativity, like having like the uh, the anime girl in there and just all the different like crazy characters, yeah. freaking hilarious. I really liked that a lot. Um, animation was phenomenal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about a couple times already, uh, on the podcast. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was, it was just a lot of fun to watch. Um, there's certain moments in the, the movie that, you know, made me laugh out loud just because how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Um, really good. Um, I actually, I saw that right after seeing the new Spider-Man movie. So, um, okay. I haven't seen the new Spider-Man movie yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, just gonna throw it out there. I like the new Spider-Man movie more than Endgame. Really? Yeah. Just throwing that out there. And Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. Um, so I guess maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I thought it was really, really good. It was a Spider-Man movie I was waiting for since uh, Spider-Man Two. Really? Yep. 
Mm. And not the Amazing Spider-Man 2, the Tobey Maguire right, right, Spider-Man right. 2. The all-time classic with Doc Ock and all that. The yeah. Raimi, the Raimi one, yep. Oh, yeah. Wow, okay. So uh, is it, so that's your favorite Spider-Man movie of all time, then? Uh, mm. I feel like um, my nostalgia probably covers up a lot of the imperfections that the original series had. Yeah. Um. So, but just because I haven't seen them in such a long time, I I think that my favorite will probably always be Spider Man Two. Right. Um. But this one was pretty darn close. It was very good. Wow. Okay. All really, right. really good. Well, we gotta gotta uh, knock that out then. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people I hear when they talk about their favorite Spider Man movies have moved into the Spider Verse at the top. I really liked it a lot. Um, I mean, at the end there, the animation is so ridiculous that it feels like I'm, my face is melting away. Yeah. I don't know if you had that same experience. When they're in the, uh, whatever that machine's called. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, like which the... is creating the black hole or whatever it is, mm-hmm. time-space thing. Uh, it's like, the oh my God, it was just so much color yeah. on a huge-ass screen. It's like almost too much. But uh, yeah, the voice acting is unbelievably good. It's very uh, good, yeah. I like the part where Nicolas Cage, you know, the black and white, Noir. Oh, is that who's voicing him? That's that's Nicholas Cage. I didn't yeah, know that. yep. Um, he he he's amazing. Uh, you know, sometimes I let a match burn down to my fingers yeah. to feel something, anything. <laughs> oh my god, we were me me and uh, Emmy were cracking up when uh, when it happened. It was that was awesome. Oh man, yeah, I laughed a lot. I think my favorite part of that movie was when uh, Miles kind of. I don't want. I'm spoilers for anyone that hasn't seen the movie. Um, when uh, Miles was. Uh, Get first getting like his spider senses and I guess like he was like he didn't return to his room or something that that night previous and uh the one guy's coming after him and he's just like in his head all right play dumb and the guy's just like uh Morales he you uh you weren't back last night or something like that and he's just like who's Morales <laughs> and then he you know I kind of butchered that a little bit but that <laughs> cracked me up because um, he's just like no not that dumb <laughs> So it was, it was just funny. It was very, um, it seemed like a very fast-moving movie. Yeah. Um, both in animation and in just overall pace, which I kind of appreciated that. Um, and, I mean, Miles is actually in the uh, the Spider-Man game on PlayStation, so oh, I thought that was okay. really cool. Yeah. All right. So you kind of see some crossover there. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch, and I'm definitely looking forward to a potential sequel, which I think is been all but confirmed or maybe confirmed um so that's gonna be cool well you know they kind of left it open where he can still communicate with at least gwen stacy so that's awesome if they can you know stay in some some type of contact with the other spider-mans yeah and you know i think there's a lot they can do with it like even add like toby mcguire and andrew garfield and space jam it up yeah um that'd be pretty pretty cool a lot of opportunity to do some wild stuff with that franchise yeah yeah, so that was pretty much my weekend. I didn't play a lot of games during that long weekend. Um, I did start to kind of play the Spider-Man DLC that I never got to do, um, but really didn't get too far in that. And it's pretty much been all the same. Oh, actually, you know what? I did get uh, Mario Maker. So Mario Maker 2, you have that now? Yes, I got it because I had a ton of coins, I guess, stored up from all of my online purchases. Oh. I didn't realize you could use those to, to game. yeah to actually you know take the price off the game so i think i got mario maker for probably around maybe like 29 bucks or something okay down from 60 so it's That's pretty good yeah half off yeah just for buying stuff okay yeah and i i actually am really enjoying it too it 
is a lot different than how I thought it was going to be. I thought that you basically had to just build things, yeah. but but really it's just as fun to play other people's levels and the story mode that they included in the game as it is to create the stages. So even if you're not good at building things, like I'm terrible at building things, um, even if you just like to play the different stages, it's basically just like a more creative uh, Mario, 2D Mario game. So it's it's very fun. So did you play the first one? Never did. Me neither. Yeah. Wonder how it compares. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah. You got it for half off and you're enjoying it so far. Oh, yeah. So there's a story mode. Yeah, there is a story mode and the levels, I'm not really sure how the levels work. I think it's just pretend usernames in the story mode. Mm. But they're actually very, I mean, they're very interestingly designed. Just like how they're, it's very different than a normal standard 2D okay. Mario game. All right. But you have like all the different, you know, Super Mario, uh, you know, land, not land, uh, super, I'm trying to think what all the different styles. You have a 3D world style in there. So you have like the Cat Mario's, you know, the yep. classic theme song from that game. All right. Um, you have the new Super Mario Bros. games. You have uh, Mario uh, World. And you have like the original Mario and then maybe Super Mario Brothers 3. 3. Yeah, that's, that's in there too. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. All right, I think that's similar to the first one, yeah. but not the Cat Mario stuff. I don't think that's in there. Yeah, they basically took the 3D World games and or the 3D World game and they made it like 2D, okay. but you still have like a 3D backdrop in a way. It's it's pretty cool. All right, yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, so that's been a lot of fun, and I've still been kind of chipping away at Breath of the Wild. So, still playing that game. Yep. Oh, yeah. well, you're doing the uh, what? Master mode? Is that what it's called? I think it's called. I'm, I called it like I was listening back to our other podcast. I called it like five different oh things. My God. So Master <laughs> Quest is what they called Ocarina of Time. I would have uh, looked it up if I knew this would be a this would come <laughs> up today. But I think it's Master mode. I think that's Master yeah. mode. Yeah, because they combined Master Quest and Hero mode. Yeah. See, I called it Hero I mode guess. originally. Then you yeah. referred to it as Hero mode. Then I corrected you as like Master mode. So basically, I corrected you for correcting. For what I said originally, I basically corrected myself through you. Oh my god! So it was, it was, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're playing the non-vanilla. You're playing the more difficult version of the playthrough. Yes. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's still been fun. Um, it's definitely not something I'm trying to hurry up and finish. I'm just trying to take my time whenever I feel like playing it, and it's been pretty enjoyable. That's good. Mm -hmm. As uh, challenging as it is, I mean, you're kind of forced to do that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, you really, I mean, it's weird. I honestly feel like I'm getting through this one qu at a quicker pace. I'm going to, you know, location to location quicker than I was the other ones just because I'm not stopping and fighting things anymore. Yeah, you're just running. Yeah, so it's kind of a quicker way to play through it in a way, but there are just some instances where you have to kill certain things, and I am just really struggling at that part because I don't have weapons that last long enough, and I just can't get them down quick enough. That's, oh man. So it's tough. It is very tough. But it's still fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, definitely enjoyable. Just moving around in that game is a lot of fun. Um, so everything else just kind of falls into place. Hmm. Um, what have uh, you been playing, Same? Uh, I, uh, yeah, same stuff. I did buy uh, Dark Souls Remastered on PS4. Oh, you did? It went on sale for 40%. Don't worry, Cal. I'm still going to play the yeah. Switch version. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I'm wanting to buy that for a while just to see what it's like on PS4. It is 60 frames per second, so and it does sound better too. Yeah. 
Uh, something about the that I guess that's thirty frames per second on the switch. I kind of like a little bit better. That yeah. makes it make me sound weird, but I kind of like the realistic Dark Souls three thirty frames per second. I think that's what it is on the PS4. Uh, so Dark Souls two Scholar and uh, this one look very smooth. I think Dark Souls seems to do it a little bit better, but I am liking it so far. So it's new game. Uh, I haven't done another build in Dark Souls. Uh, or Dark Souls 3. It's be the first time doing that since I made a Blood Tinge character in Bloodborne. So I haven't really gone through Dark Souls 3 or Dark Souls 1 with a new character. This will be the first time doing that. Uh, right away, I mean, I'm like, this is this is amazing. And i only gone through Undead Berg, one of the very, very early areas of the game. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is this is just fantastic. Uh, because I know what's, what's coming. I'm uh, you know, I just beat Taro Steeman up on the up on the wall. Uh, you know, I I played him uh, on the night that I got it. I died to him like four times, and it got late, so I'm like, I'm going to bed. I can't do this. This is impossible. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think that, but I was just like, this isn't going to work. I got to go to sleep. And the next night, I beat him on the first try. Instead of like being directly under him, I would like let him swing, and I'd come back in, kind of, and then go back out. You know, he would swing his his demon axe, whatever it is, and I go back in. Uh, so it's it's pretty fun. Uh, just just met up with Solaire. Uh, see what I'm trying to do in this game. I didn't, you know, there's no trophies on the Switch. There's no achievements or anything. Yeah. This game, I'm gonna try to follow a guide. Like, what can I do to expedite, or at least not miss anything. Yeah. Uh, that's actually what I did with Dark Souls Three, the second playthrough, because I had missed almost everything in that game when it comes to side quests. Yeah. The first playthrough. I do not want to do the same thing with Dark Souls One the second time around, so that's why I have a guide up. Okay, uh, I'm not I'm not going to spend time doing covenants and all that stuff on Dark Souls Switch because I am a strength guy instead of like a you know miracle user, mm-hmm. um, and I probably will do the same thing with uh, PS4 DSR. But uh, I don't want to miss anything, and I do want to see a platinum trophy at least eventually. I guess you have to uh, get all like the unique weapons, which apparently, which I've been reading, is a kind of a pain in the butt, so you need to go through at least two and a half playthroughs, I think, which I think is pretty standard, but you have to get all the rare drop items, and you have to cut tails off of some of the bosses. Yeah. Um, you know, that one red dragon, people who, uh, the Hellkite Drake, or whatever it's called, right in uh, right before Undead Parish, I had just done that like a week ago, you know, level 100 on, uh, on the Switch. It was still a pain in the butt. Uh, but I did... Uh, do it. Probably I'll wait until probably some areas in Dark Souls One that I'll wait until I'm stronger, even though they're fairly early in the game to progress, including getting that sword off of the Hellkite Drake and maybe a few other things. Uh, but it is definitely fun. I'm I'm excited to go through it again. Really, I just did really bought it just to have another medium to help people with. Yeah. Uh, you know, Reddit's got a lot of uh, um, you know, air air you know subreddits that have to do with helping others. Uh, including summon sign, so that's you know, I want to help people on there with not just Switch and DS3, but DSR on PS4 as well. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting that uh, that level. Long way to go though. Like I said, only maybe uh, two hours into the game. Uh, also been playing Rocket League. There's that spike mode. Have you guys tried that yet? Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, I think it was on Monday we tried that out. You and John did. Yeah. So how do you like, uh, you know, you get the spikes, and it, it seems to me it's that 
I'm not sure if it's every time you go to the old-fashioned stadium where the nets are not in the wall. I think it is every time. Uh, how do, what do you think of when you get spikes, you lose all your boost automatically? Uh, I honestly think it's it's way better just because you have to be a little bit more strategic with it. Mm-hmm. But you also can get pretty creative. If you have your spikes and you do a flip, you can release your spikes and kind of go back into normal Rocket League mode for a split second before yeah. you regain. But if you're flipping in the air, your momentum will carry that ball if you time it right. Right. Um, so it's I, I actually like it. I think it'd be kind of dumb if you just had like your max boost and you're just, you know. Agreed. It'd be too easy. It would yeah. just be goal, goal, goal. They do a really good job. Uh, so what I what I was doing while well, I was trying to stay alive. Oh, another <laughs> thing is you pretty much, if you have the ball, if you have spikes and the ball's attached to you, I think you're insta-killed. Yeah, I think so too. Which is really interesting because yeah. that just makes it more exciting because spikes are essentially OP and mm-hmm. uh, you know, as long as the ball lands on you and rumble. Yeah. Uh, but in this, they definitely limit it. And I think it's f- pretty interesting. I liked it. To, I didn't even play the other mode, that ghost hunt mode or whatever it was it called. It wasn't worth playing, honestly, at yeah. least in my opinion. Well, this one this one just seems to be more interesting. I mean, what I was doing was trying to you know, ride up the wall with as little uh, momentum as I had and get to the ceiling so I'm like upside down with the ball underneath me, if you can kind of visualize what I'm saying. Yeah. And then just kind of release it as I'm like moving towards the goal. Yeah. So me and the ball kind of fall at the same time. There's actually a really good way to score. Okay. A very simple way to score. I didn't try that. Get up on the wall, get on the ceiling so you're falling, and then as you you have that kind of forward momentum and falling, right, as Buzz Lightyear uh, once said, yeah. <laughs> uh, falling with style. Uh, so that's, you just release the ball once you kind of, Get gravity working on you, okay. and uh, if you have any sort of accuracy, it's really hard to aim, in my opinion. But you do get better at it, like anything else, with practice. You let it go; it, you can you can score fairly fairly easily. Huh? Uh, it's pretty wild. So yeah, I didn't try that. Um, I didn't try that method out. Um, but I was playing with someone that was incredibly good at just juking normally, uh, yeah. very good. Um, and we just couldn't stop him. Like it was. I think that the whole thing without you know having the boost, I think it's a lot better because. It kind of like you know promotes, you know, you trying to get more creative with how you're going to score mm-hmm. and how you're going to advance the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it was very interesting. Also, that they finally included a feature that has been available in custom matches for a really long time, which is the you know destruct you know contact, you know yeah. destruction, which is you know I think is pretty neat. So uh, I think they did a really good job. It seemed to me that. The other mode that they did with the Ghostbusters, uh, it was well thought out. But I feel like this one, though, just kind of takes, you know, takes it up a few notches in terms of like the thought process and going into designing that. I mean, everybody likes the spikes, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody likes spikes. Uh, so to build one around the popular Rumble power up, it just it just kind of works. Mm-hmm. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, uh, you're very vulnerable, and sometimes you can be immobilized if you the spikes. You know, if you could. The ball could be right in front of you, but it's not flat on the ground. Yeah. So you actually can't move. You'll probably die within like a second because you're yeah. you're just kind of like parked on your on your wheels there, like on the bumper, on the back bumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it, this this one is like I think more people are kind of used to it. You know, spikes trying to get under it and all that. Yeah. Work a little bit on your like you said juking. So like kind of spike dribbling. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just more. It's closer to what people are used to, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's 
you know, it's a better power up than Magnet, which I guess more or less is what Ghost Hunt was about. You know, I guess yeah. So I'm guessing they're kind of going through and taking those Rumble power ups and building an entire games around it's them kind of like that i wish i had played ghost hunt at least once just to see how it compares to that magnet that's just what it seemed to me when i see images of it it feels very similar now that i'm thinking back on it yeah so i don't know but it's more you have to use your teammate to kind of suspend the ball uh i think so it's kind of been a while since i've played it but the way i remembered it was you went in you went into like that little zone in front of the goal and you had to hold it there for like Two three, seconds. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, but it was I think it was somewhat similar to drop shot in a way where you had a you had to make contact with the ball in order for it to go in. Mm, okay. So it had to be I could be completely wrong, but I think it had to be your color in order for it to right. to process. So yeah, I don't know. But I think the spike mode though is definitely a lot more intriguing. It kind of in a way feels like Rocket League football like a really basic version of football. Um, you know, obviously American football um, is what I'm talking about. Just because of the physical nature of it, and there's a big element to well, playing yeah, physical. Yeah, and you're, and you're carrying the, the ball. Yeah. You're carrying the rock, as as we say in, uh, in football. Yeah, so that's kind of what I compare it to. I didn't really think about it like that. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I personally really like it, though. I think it's a really good concept, and I think they did a really good job in, um, you know, just the whole entire thought behind it. I, I really like that a lot. Yeah, I agree. They did a good job. Um, so I'll that's probably a mode that I'd be interested in playing for a while because, um, I mean, I feel like all of these modes that they've created throughout the years offer a really, you know, interesting and fresh spin on their formula. And it's just cool how they're able to take this game and it's, you know, very simple, you know, in concept, but then they are able to branch it off. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if this one will stick around. I imagine they'll have data, like how many people played it and how many people stayed playing it, right? Let's say 10,000 people, uh, were on it like the first day and then like after six weeks or however long they're having this for. It was like nine thousand. Like wow, you know, people who started playing this kind of kind of stayed there, or just see see how the level had fluctuated between day one and day, um, you know, thirty, whatever it is, or or sixty, or 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 uh, you know, something like that. Yeah, uh, I imagine this one is. I'm just guessing this one's higher. People have played it more and have stayed playing it longer than Ghost Hunt. And I wonder if they are they're looking at that. It's like, hey, let's make this more permanent. Yeah. Uh, there isn't that many people that play Rocket League. All right, maybe there's like 100,000 or so, maybe 200,000. I can't remember. Uh, so they can't just like put all of these game modes and split up the the base because then there'll be less people doing the more important things like competitive standard, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I wonder what they'll what they'll do. They may indeed just be temporary, but this one, you know, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I think keep, it has keep it around. staying power. Yeah, I don't think they'll make it a... You know, who knows? They probably have at least one more before the summer's out. One more of these just temporary game modes. And I wonder if they'll just pick the popular one and make it a competitive series like Rumble, like Snow Day, yeah. like Hoops. Um, who knows? I mean, we may, best is yet to come. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could come up with something even better. 
Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with next because it does seem like, now that you mentioned it, it does seem like they are kind of picking Rumble elements and including them into yeah. you know, more of a almost competitive-like uh, game. So it's, it's going to be cool. Yep. I think it's going to be really neat. Um, so that was pretty much all that um, I was up to uh, this past weekend and throughout the week. haven't really had a ton of time to play games, just been tired from work and all that. So um, you yeah, haven't really been doing a ton of that. However, we do have some news today before we get into our main topic. Um, and that was that Wednesday morning, which at the time of recording this episode was yesterday, uh, Nintendo held a early morning Nintendo Direct. And they revealed that they were going to be releasing a smaller version of the Switch called a uh, called the Nintendo Switch Lite. Um, this was long rumored. We heard about this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before E3, after E3, just all that good stuff. Nintendo came out and said they weren't going to be releasing new hardware this year, which I always looked at as them basically saying... We're not going to be releasing a successor to the Switch, but a SKU to the Switch is not necessarily, you know, brand new next generation hardware. It's just a revision or a different take on what they currently have. So, um, have you seen the, the any images of the Switch Mini at all? Yep. I mean, it's just a Switch without the Joy-Cons. Yeah, right. pretty much, yeah. So, I guess the official, like, little rundown is that it's going to release on September 20th. Uh, it's going to release alongside Pokemon, so there's going to be a special Pokemon edition to it. It has like the two legendaries that, for the life of me, I cannot remember their names. Uh, Sif and Shield Doggo. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're going to be the kind of the features there. Um, it's going to be kind of like a gr- really light gray, maybe white switch with uh, different colored buttons. Um, looks really nice, actually. Like the the face button side kind of reminds me of like an original Game Boy in terms of like its color style Mm -hmm. which it's like why didn't you guys show off an original game boy style Um, but it's also going to be releasing in uh, non-special edition colors which would be yellow uh, turquoise and people are saying gray it looks more black to me but i'll have to see it in person before i can really i guess officially say it Um, it is going to feature a 5.5 inch display Uh, it's going to be the same resolution as the current switch um, and that is down from the 6.2-inch display of the original. Um, it's a smaller overall body because everything is just molded together. There's no, um, there's no detachable Joy-Cons, which unfortunately means that uh, there's not going to be any HD rumble, which I personally don't care too much about anyway. Um, and there's not going to be any IR because the IR sensor was built into the Joy-Con. If you look at the display, there's also uh, no longer a sensor. So while you can still adjust the brightness on the Switch Lite, you're not going to have an automatic um, sensor similar to like what you know smartphones have or what the original Switch had, where it can detect, I guess, the lighting of the current room and it'll adjust accordingly. So it's a little bit easier on your eyes. This is not going to have that, um, I guess, to save space. Um, the other thing that this thing is going to feature is a slightly better battery, despite it being smaller. Uh, makes sense because it is a smaller screen that it's powering, and um, it's not supporting to, uh, I guess, it's not having a constant connection to two separate controllers. So 
makes a little bit of sense. Uh, it's going to feature a true directional pad, which I thought was pretty cool for classic games. It's, you know, pretty neat. Um, I'm not a big fan of how the normal Switch has, like, that button, you know, layout there. But uh, I, I don't even, I can't even picture it because I never use those buttons. I don't even use the Joy-Cons. That's that's right. Yeah, you're more, you use the Pro Controller all that's the right. time. Yeah, it's, uh, so basically the whole Switch concept was, you know, the D-pad is going to be separated in the same button layout as like the normal face buttons. That it's way, buttons, right? Yeah. It's not like a, yeah. They need to bring back the old uh, OG DS D-pad, right? That's the clicky D-pad. I like the yeah. That's that is my favorite D-pad of all time. Not the mushy GBA. Uh, oh, and the DS Lite and the Wiimote, awful. They used the same D-pad. They sucked. Thumb thumb killers. Well, because plus they would like shift. So when you like That's press right. them, it was like, I don't know. I hated that. Right. That sucked. Nothing was better than the Genesis D-pad, which honestly, if you think back, wasn't even a D-pad. It was like a joystick pad that moved in directions. E yeah. I'm it just kidding. Angles, that was horrendous. Though. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it did. It had moved. Uh, yeah. Up and down, left and right, and all the diagonal directions. Yeah. I think. It's very think. bizarre, actually. Yeah, I don't even know how it worked now. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking when they were making controllers back then. Who knows? I think Nintendo might have had the only... Uh... Yeah, and that little joystick, I can't believe more didn't break. You ever had... Oh, you've, God. You've heard... I mean, do we have a... Do we have a... Well, there's Nintendo 64 controllers. Oh, it's awful. You go into Genesis and they go in over that, I'm like, what? Or, you know, better yet, right? We had a PlayStation 2. Yeah. So they have those nice... Every, everybody likes the PlayStation controller, right? Yeah. I certainly do. And when I went back to an N64 controller, I'm like, what the hell oh, is with awful. this analog stick? It's so bad. It's like... What is going on here? It's not. I feel like it I'm does break feel it. like an analog stick. It is. It, you're right. It. It's like I don't even know if that's considered an analog stick. I think it still technically is, but there has to be something different with that mechanism because it does not feel right. Right. You know, you get that nice smooth type of you know analog stick for PlayStation. You go back to that. Like, what the hell were they? Yeah. Thinking what is this? this? Yeah. It was a big feature back then somehow, but yeah, I I don't I honestly don't know. Um. But it does make sense for them to include a directional pad on this one, which I'm hoping it's the clicky one, but I'm probably not going to get this anyway. But um, it makes sense for them to do that because the Switch, you're basically, they designed that controller so you can slide it off and both players can use a full set of face buttons and analog stick. This one's not like that, so it makes sense to have a D-pad on there because you're you know, realistically going to be the only one able to control the system so there's really no need to not have like a dedicated d-pad on there um and just just for a note nintendo said they have no plans of adding a d-pad to the joy con um at any point in time um so who knows maybe the switch pro will get a d-pad oh boy um which i mean is not a huge deal there are third-party options for that but um I mean, most of the time for most games that I have on Switch, I'm using analog sticks anyway, so it's not a big deal to me. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. It is apparently going to have a more efficient uh, chipset, so a more efficient processor than the current Switch, um, which I'm assuming just because the Switch, um, the current chip that the Switch is using is a little bit outdated now, and they probably don't even really utilize those chips anymore. Um, because there is, there actually is a, a note here, uh, that Nintendo has apparently submitted a class two permission change to the FCC for a new processor and flash storage chips to the original model. So the original model is most likely 
Nintendo declined uh, to comment uh, to The Verge on this uh, report. But Nintendo is probably going to quietly switch over to a different chipset for their current models, which doesn't really go against things that they've done in the past, like the whole 3DS, new 3DS XL screens. Some of them were better than the other ones. It kind of happens all the time with uh, with this kind of stuff. Uh, but going back to the Switch Mini, um, it is, um, it's kind of been getting some weird, I guess, reaction to some people. I think people don't really understand the purpose of it because it's going to be limited in terms of uh, how you use it, where some games that require you to play on the TV aren't going to work on the Switch Mini. But I don't think you're actually going to even be able to purchase those games on the eShop. I think you get a notification saying that your Switch model is not compatible. So they're going to have clear-cut things, but most games are compatible with handheld mode anyway, so it's not really going to matter too much. I guess. Um, but it's also important to note this is $100 cheaper, and this isn't the first time Nintendo has made a revision to their system that had less features. If you think back, Nintendo made the 2DS, which was a 3DS without 3D. Yeah. It didn't fold. At least the first one didn't fold. Uh, I don't believe there was any way to turn the Wi-Fi off on it. So, I mean, they were pretty much stuck with that. I mean, that was... I didn't know that. Yeah, that this was pretty much silly. it. Yeah, they... Uh, it, it was also a lot cheaper. I mean, that one was, I think, maybe $99 or $79. Yeah. Um, so that was like Smaller really screens, yeah. Yeah, back to like the original um 3DS screens and you know people still took to it but it was kind of a model for younger kids. It was a more affordable option. And that's basically what this Switch is. It's a more affordable option for people that don't have 300 bucks to shell out and then, you know, the whole Joy-Con thing and all that other stuff, all the different accessories that you need. Um now I did I did go ahead and get some comments from some from some people um, on Twitter, and this was actually a thought that I had too. And this is at Parasite Demon. Uh, not too sure why the Switch Lite completely removed the ability to play on the TV. To me, it would be perfect for a household that already has a Switch. No need to buy a second full system with a dock. It would honestly be the perfect little sibling console. I guess. I feel like this Switch Mini would have made more sense to me. It still makes sense to me. I, th I think I have no problems with it. But I think that if they had this, you know, support dock play, I feel like it would kind of make a little bit more sense for Nintendo because you could just not package a dock with it because it's a handheld primarily only system. Yeah. But still feature the ability to do that because I feel like in many ways, the whole Switch name, and obviously at this point, Switch is now the platform name. It's not just the functionality of the system, but I feel like it just makes more sense to still have that ability, and you can just charge for a dock separate or have a specialized dock that they can choose to buy separately. I think that would have made a little bit more sense. I guess. I mean, the dock pretty much puts a regular Switch's screen up on the, on the TV. I mean anything else it does is just charge it so i don't really know what practical purposes a dock would have for a switch light if it's not going to be displayed on the screen anyway well i think well what i mean is that i think that they still should have kept that function they should they should have still kept the ability to put it on the tv 
Yeah. Um, but just make people buy a specialized dock separate. Okay. Because that way, if people like want to get the cheaper switch, but then they want the smaller size, it's primarily going to be for handheld use. But later on, if they want to, uh, you know, put on the TV, I think it would be a good option just to, you know, have that ability available to people that want to shell out the extra money. Okay. And you would use a controller like the Pro Controller. Yeah. Because I think yeah. the Pro Controller and Joy-Con still both support this. Um, but they don't consider it uh, tabletop mode anymore because there's no kickstand. So, oh my god, this just seems kind of dumb to me. Like, I mean, it seems like a handheld thing. It's yeah, a handheld system. So basically, that's kind of what the purpose is. So it's essentially going to take the 3DS's spot. Nintendo said that they're going to continue to support 3DS as long as there's demand for the systems. It's still selling. People are still buying it. There's a huge backlog of those games. Um, you know, massive catalog. But this is kind of going to take away, I think, the market for the 3DS because now they have a cheaper, almost like a dedicated handheld version of the Switch. I wonder if it's going to be lighter. You know, the pounds are actually less than It actually 3DS. is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the 3DS? Yeah, 3DS. Ooh, I don't know about that. I mean, it might be. You're not going to play. You're not going to I mean, yeah. I mean, you're going to buy the library. You know, you're going to get a system for the library. So it's not as if a 3DS, it's, it's going it's to wind up obsolete anyway. If you want to play newer games, you're going to have to upgrade. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I guess that'll tip. I don't know. If 3DS is still popular, I don't think this system is going to do anything about it. Yeah. I, I get. I mean, it is less expensive. I don't know. I guess it's kind of like a, it's kind of like an incentive almost for people that have had the 3DS for a while but don't have, I guess, the necessary funds to get a Switch. This kind of brings it closer to their price range and it kind of gives them a, a way to upgrade in terms of like a handheld system in a way. All right. You know, when I used to play 3DS, I like, used to lay down on the bed and kind of have it, like, you know, like reading a book, right? You kind of have the book above you. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just thinking, you do the same thing with the Switch Lite. Um, it'd probably be comparable in weight to a, a, a 3DS XL, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, I think it probably would be. I think it's, it's, I don't know how big it is, like, if you were to open the 3DS. I don't know how much uh, bigger or smaller it is, but... Um, it does kind of offer another option to people that generally just play in hand, handheld mode and they wanted kind of a smaller system to take with them. Yeah. Um, to me, I wouldn't want to sacrifice the screen size. Um, I mainly play mine in handheld mode, but I just, I don't know. I like having the big, biggest screen possible for, you know, what I'm, what I'm playing. So yeah, I don't know yeah. if I'd want to sacrifice that, but, um, yeah, it's it's uh it seems like um you know a lot of people are a little bit confused with it, um but to me I think it falls into, it kind of falls into like a certain market that I think is going to take to it, um that didn't necessarily um take to the switch or was you know unable to financially, um to get in there. Now, like you said, you said that they're going to pair this with Pokemon, which yep. has generally younger audiences, mm -hmm. or maybe the audience that stuck with it for. 20 years probably a bit of both yeah uh, of course there's also the big exodus but that's besides the point yeah this may uh, increase sales a little bit of course i don't really want the game to. i don't really want that game to sell well so maybe i should be against this this light but you know if it works for people great 
Yeah. Um, and at Lappin the Rabbit, I really like and kind of want a Switch Lite, but I can't tell if, if that's the right op opinion to have. Uh, then again, I actually really like the original 2DS, and I'm a big portable gamer person, so yeah, I'm definitely on the wrong side, which I don't think is really the way to look at it. I think that, you know, if this fits your, you know, if this fits your style, I mean, heck, go for it. It's not, it's not really, you know, super serious. It's just, you know, you can have fun with it. Um, and I, I just saw like a, a few other people, they, they commented, um, you know, things like, you know, how is it to switch anymore if you're not really switching anything? So I Good thought that question. was pretty funny. Yeah. But, it, but once again, though, I mean, it kind of, where's the click? Yeah. Where's the click? Well, now it's a, uh, in terms of like a, a light bulb now, so <laughs> I don't think that's an actual thing. Oh but, my god, that's um, actually really smart. Yeah, <laughs> Some, switch light. Yeah, <laughs> and it just gets brighter. Someone oh said god. it should be called the Nintendo Switchless, which I mm. thought was pretty funny. Mm, okay, I can see that. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what, all I have to say about the uh, the Switch Light. I think it's interesting. I think honestly, aesthetically, I think it looks way better than the current Switch. But I mean. The Switch is kind of almost like a Frankenstein type of, uh, you know, piece together is. system anyway. Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff connected to each other. But I think that kind of fits the appeal of it. I think, yeah. you know, it looks unique. And, I mean, I, I like the original Switch. I think this one is really cool looking, though. The colors look really nice. It looks like the build quality might be a little bit better. I think it is nice, though, that it does look like a premium product for you know, a lower price. So people that are getting it are still getting a really good product, it seems, um, which is awesome. Um, now, I do have a follow-up to a story we had in the last podcast, and that was that, let's see, the uh, last, or last podcast we talked about how Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony um, were basically fighting against a tariff that was going to increase... Um, I guess the prices on like game consoles, uh, toys and various other things, board games, um, coming out of China, it was going to increase that and it would basically make them have to increase the prices of all their stuff. Um, apparently the Trump administration has put a halt to the tariffs that would have impacted, um, all of those things. Um, so as of right now, they've basically, um, are going to put that on hold and it's, I don't think it's going to be slated to uh, there's no like real time that it's slated to return or discussions to start up again. So basically all that stuff um, kind of got uh, kicked to the side and it's not really being talked about anymore. So I guess that's a good thing. So, yeah, great. Yeah. So we talked about that. Our official opinion on that was that it was bad and that they needed to stop it. And it looks like they have um, done just that. So. Yeah, they'll probably bring it back once people have. I don't even. I haven't been following the story, so that was surprising to hear. Uh, yeah, it came and went fairly quietly, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. People have said it really just depends uh, on a day and time. So, um, now I guess we can get into the primary topic at hand, mm. which is something you mentioned, I believe, in the next. Or not in the next. The, the previous podcast. Yeah, if you yeah. mention the next, I mean, I have some kind of future uh, powers that are pretty uh, pretty great. Um, mm -hmm. But you mentioned that we should do a video or a, not a video, a podcast on uh, our best gaming accomplishments. Yep. 
uh, which I thought was very good. So I went ahead and stole that idea. Very nice. Um, and all right. So I guess we can kind of just dive into this. So do you want to start like listing some or talking about some? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, some uh, the, uh, accomplishments that I'm fairly proud of. You know, I was a big uh, angry video game nerd fan. I think you were too. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people on YouTube got their inspiration from angry video game nerd who's still making videos today. Uh, he uh, he inspired me to play a couple of games that, you know, he the shitty games that suck ass, right? That's <laughs> Those are the games that he used to play. But there were some he played that were just simply difficult, not bad. Yeah. And I selected a couple to play. Uh, these are all, I think I played all these games. I'll list it off of here on the 3DS Virtual Console. Uh, they're all there. Uh, fairly cheap, too. So I played, I downloaded uh, Zelda 2 The Adventure Link, uh, Castlevania 1, the original NES Castlevania, uh, Ninja Gaiden, and Ninja Gaiden 2, and beat them all. Wow. Uh, so I don't really know, like, in the, he, you know, I thought it was pretty cool at the time because this is a game that he made videos of. They're really hard to beat and almost, yeah. uh, he made them seem like almost impossible in certain parts. Um, I think he actually does beat Castlevania in his video, uh, but I don't think he does Ninja Gaiden, and I don't think he even does goes goes on about Ninja Gaiden too. Eh, I could be wrong, but anyway, uh, I thought these were really fun, uh, especially Zelda Two: The Adventure Link. Uh, that game, I don't really, I do have, you know, it's I'm proud that I beat it, but I got a lot of clues from watching his video on it. Yeah, uh, like how you beat the final boss, you hang out in that corner and you just yeah. <laughs> well, Dark Link does his thing, uh, but you know, I, I, it was my idea to farm the skulls early on, yeah, to buff up all your health and sword and mm-hmm. all that. Uh, once, once I figured out what was going on, because uh, you get to a certain part, you're like, my sword's not doing anything, and I'm dying in one hit. <laughs> uh, a lot of games are like that, but I figured because I think you get like 50 XP for uh, for hitting those skulls that are flying around uh, in the. Uh, in the first castle you get to, you you level up fast. Unfortunately, it takes like a hundred hits uh, in the early going. <laughs> dun, dun, but dun. I think he made a joke about that in the episode that he did. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I have to check that out again. It's one of my favorite of his videos. Uh, I think of the four of these that I beat, uh, I guess Castlevania was probably the hardest, only because Ninja Gaiden was way more fun than Castlevania. Okay, um, I think. You know, the music in these games is very, very good. Castlevania probably is the best. Uh, Castlevania was really difficult. I think when I got to the heart of fire level, which is the level preceding death, you know, the Grim Reaper, that was like the hardest of of the levels. That is what I died the most on, uh, just because it was so long and all that. Uh, I felt like as soon as I had beaten death, I think I spent less time on the boss than I did the whole level. Uh, I think when I had beaten the Grim Reaper with the cross, the spinning cross thing. You know about that right from uh, Smash yeah. Brothers. You use the same thing. That's, you get that power up somewhere in that level. Uh, that kind of like stays and spins and it does a lot of health on the boss. So I was able to pass through that. I had a feeling I'd beat it once I once I had done that. Done that. Yeah. Uh, so those those games, um, I remember them being really fun. Except Castle Castlevania was not really all that enjoyable. I just wanted to say I could beat it. Okay. Um, it really... Yeah, that was, that was a long time before I played games that were, you know, in, there's a lot of time in between when I beat these games and when I started, like, Bloodborne. 
Okay. Like yeah. almost like ten years, like five years or something like that. Like it didn't like make me hungry for a challenge. Just yeah. like, oh my god, this is finally over. Especially for Castlevania. Like I said, Ninja Gaiden was amazing. Ninja Gaiden, um, you know that you this is anger video and you know, James talks about this. He says, you know, when you get to the world six, if you die in six three or six four, you go back to six one. That's like the only level of the game you do it. Uh but we but you, I think you can actually collect the special counter where you can use the special items you can collect. And I had collected, I don't know if it was sure, Yukins or something. Now that I think of it, but I collected all this, this, this value of special time of times you could use your special ability and whatever weapon I had, I would just use it on the final boss and just mow him down. It's kind of like pitfall Harry when you're at the final boss yeah. and you don't use any of the exploding rocks, the whole, whole game. Uh, mm. That's, uh, Pitfall Adventure, whatever that is on this on a Genesis. I think it's Pitf- uh, the the new ad- well, new adventures of Pitfall Harry. Uh, something else. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know what Pitfall. It is. Yeah, new adventures. <laughs> I think that's new adventures of Pac Man. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the thing is, you know, you store all that stuff up and use it like boom, 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 and just kind of blow up the boss. Almost kind of like a cheese the boss instead of uh, swing your sword at. Yeah, him. I wouldn't know. I, I never made it past the first level on that game. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, when you get good at that, that's that's very fun. You got like wall jumping, and it's fairly fast paced and all that. Yeah, it's really good. So those are those are that's how I'd like to start off the accomplishment list. Do you have some, or can I keep going? Uh, I guess I can. I can go ahead and throw in my first one here. I tried to get these in terms of like order, um, and. This uh this first game that I had on here was um Star Wars Pod Racer. Um, I remember the first time I was really disappointed about losing a uh, a race, and this is this might be honestly one of my first like racing games. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, and the first one that I felt really good, like I really accomplished something after beating, um. I can't remember what the the pod race was. I should have researched that. Um, but the pod racer that I beat was uh, Toy Dampner. Toy Dampner. Um, he had the. Uh, it was kind of like the white and uh, black, almost like almost like zebra like uh, pod about. racer. I know what you're talking about. That's an yeah. early race. Very early race. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not trying to take away from what oh, you're no. saying because this game is impossible. It's very hard. If you if you if you do it today, I don't know how people played it on a PlayStation. No. You yeah, certainly can't know. do it on a keyboard. No. You know, I mean, I can't. No. Uh, yeah. We had a joystick with the Dell computer. Yeah, we had pretty And that was pretty damn fun. Yeah. But unless you have that set up, that game is literally impossible. You yeah. go way too fast, the turns are way too tight. Oh, God. But yeah. keep, I'm going to look up that, Cal. You keep going about that. That toy, uh, toy Detmer, is that what it is? Uh, toy uh, Dampner. So, D-A-M-P-N-E-R. Okay. So, that, that was one that he kept beating me, like, over and over again. You know, I was having a hard time, but... Um, eventually I was able to beat him and, you know, that clicked. So, you know, that, that was just, it felt like a really big accomplishment for me because that was really the first racing game I ever played. And that was the first, um, racer that I beat. Um, now besides Toy Dampner, um, you know, obviously, uh, Sebulba was very fun to unlock because what is it? The Boonta Eve? Is that the Boonta Eve? You know, you have that early one. Which is very short. Oh yeah, not that one. And then yeah, I think the <laughs> the big one is the Boonta Eve Classic. Yeah, that's which yeah. is very challenging. Yeah, but f- kind of by the numbers as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, nothing too uh, 
this is kind of hard to talk on search at the same time. But what were you saying about the Boonta Eve? So the Boonta Eve Classic was a lot of fun because there's so many different segments of that race, and there's so many different ways that you can like mess up. You know, you have like those like uh, fire things that shoot up from the ground. Yes. Um, you know, you're playing uh, against Sebulba, who also has you know his like little fire. Uh, ability that he can shoot out the side of his pod racer right and that always worked better for the cpu than it did for the player by the way yeah it was impossible to use as the player um but it was just it was a lot of fun and just because that was the track that you see in the movie beating that was kind of like the first like hard track that i was able to beat um so uh, that one kind of stands out to me as one that you know is kind of a big deal to beat because that was like a more advanced track like that that was kind of tough. And this was the big one you're talking about, Yeah, right? the, the big one. Yeah, it was like divided in segments, which was really neat. Yeah. Um, the other pod racers here that kind of stuck out to me that were kind of hard to unlock, um, Neva Key, um, which I think I had a hard time unlocking him. And then the one that I think stumped me the most, except for uh, Arc Bumpy Roos. <laughs> uh, George Lucas is an absolute genius. Fuck that track. Uh, <laughs> Wait, which I, one is this again that you're saying F that track on? Arc Bumpy Roos. It's uh, oh it's when you're in like the air areas. Arc Bumpy Roos. And I gotta look up a picture of this guy. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. No, I don't. Arc Bumpy Roos. Are you sure about this? Where you're up in the air? Oh, you know what? I think I'm wrong. I think you're thinking about somebody else. Are you talking about the abyss level? Yes. Um, the freaking abyss level. All right, so you remember the uh, abyss level well then, right? Yeah, you have like two different layers, right? The top layer is super fast. The yeah. bottom one, you fall so far behind if you fall down, but it's so hard to stay up on that track. Right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, that is the abyss. Uh, I forget what the world it's on. Mongaza? Malastare? It's not Malastare. And Aruba? apologies to Arc Bumpy Roost, by the way. I did not mean to... I mean, he's probably an asshole, too. <laughs> I'm sure they I all are. I cannot, remember, I cannot remember that guy's name. Oh, my God. And, of course, what I'm looking up does not have pictures. I He was a blue guy. Yeah. He was blue. He had the color blue, but not Ebby Endicott. Wait, who's actually – I think Ebby Endicott had the blue pod racer. Yeah, and he had the snow level, I think. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's one of the early snow levels. Uh, So did you ever beat the Abyss level? No. That was the one track I never beat. Yeah, that is very – You, I mean, it pushes – I can't believe I can't find this. I'm going to actually Google uh, Star Wars pod racer, the Abyss, and figure out what that – uh, you don't really hear about this, but that is unbelievably difficult. It's very hard. Uh, Abyss track. Is it broken? <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> it's really, it is such bullshit, that level. I know, and it doesn't match You got to do it three times. You got to, I know, you know, I can't, I don't know why I'm having trouble finding this out. Uh, the Abyss, this is from the fandom wiki. The Abyss was a pod racing course on Ord Ibana. And the second race of the Invitational Pod Racing Circuit. The Invitational Pod Racing Circuit are those four extra tracks after the main, the three main series. Okay. Like the Boot to Eve Classic, the Long Boot to Eve, I think is the last one of the third main series, oh, okay. right? That's why it's by the numbers, but you have such good memories of it because it is a very thorough and well-thought-out track. These are kind of bullshit, but you can uh, – I guess that is Bozzy Baranta. Oh, is that who that is? I think that is Bozzy Brant. Yeah, it's Bozzy Brant. You see that on my computer there? Bozzy Brant. My oh, God. my God. He is. Those characters are freaking ugly as shit. Well, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. 
they are. There's no, there's no, uh, yeah. They're not cute at all. Like Neva Key, like I remember we thought, oh, look at this little head. That's, that's right. You see him. He's, uh, oh, God, I got to look a picture of this guy. Uh, oh, God, he is disturbing. The thing about Neva Key is his pod racer didn't, didn't have the cables, and it was absolutely a blast to play. So you can't, I mean, the guy had good taste in pod race, uh, in the in actual, in, in his racer. Yeah. He had great taste. That was very Neva cool. Neva Key. I just remember, I think Emmy made a uh, song about him. Um, oh, man. <laughs> we played the hell out of that game. Oh, yeah, um, we definitely did. But we, damn, if if it doesn't, uh, I'll tell you what. I mean, this is very hard to go back to. Yeah. The Gauntlet. The Inferno was fun. That was Ben Quadraneros. Ben Quadraneros was pretty darn cool. Uh, you know, he's obviously a loser right in episode one, just like most of the characters. Uh, yeah. But that... Racer, if I remember, if I remember that, uh, doing that, he's got the four, four count of four yeah. engines. That pod racer was awesome. Oh yeah, it was. It was fast as shit. Very it was delicate also, though. Very delicate and very hard to control. Yeah. Uh, do you you have a favorite racer? It's probably just Anakin, right? You, you know, my favorite racer was Mars Guo because he had a big pod racer. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he, I think if you look at the back of those engines, they got like uh, like eight, like almost like octagons type of way. Like it's got like a whole bunch of things sticking out of the engines. I think so. Yeah, I liked. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember really remember. Neva Key was up there. That's the one. You know, I remember that one so clearly. And of course, Sebulbas is kind of iconic too, with that big V, those V's on the side there, and they can blow fire out there. Although it doesn't work as much as the CPUs does. Yeah, he had a cool pod racer. Um, the one the one pod racer that I thought was the most difficult for me to beat. Um, just for I don't know why I think just because his pod racer was so fast was uh, Slide Paramita, who was also I believe a snow level as well. Slide Paramita. Yeah, yeah. He had that really tiny yellow pod racer that was kind of similar to Anakin's, but only a little bit thinner. Yeah, I don't really remember that too much. I think squared off front ends. Um, yeah, he had some kind of weird. Okay. Pattern on his uh, rockets, but that was very difficult. That took me a lot of tries. Um, I think I actually had to use Neva Key to beat that one. Um, okay. I wonder if Neva Key, once you get him, is like almost like easy mode in a way. Well, I think you can upgrade your your pod races or your pod you, races, you right? Yeah, you can earn my. I see. I, we were very young when we played that game, so we probably didn't play it. As well as we could have. Yeah. yeah. You can probably say that for a lot of games. But, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. There was that one time where I think we were trying to upgrade the engines just to make it faster. And then the next time you went there, like, all the numbers were down. I don't I don't know why that happened. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But Neva Key, yeah. That was a very easy control pod racer. Yeah. Neva Keys. Probably uh, one of the smaller ones, I'm thinking. Probably. Yeah, probably smaller. And I think it had more... You know, you kind of had like see, the thing about the other pod racers. You kind of have like that that effect, like a swing effect. Yeah. Where Neva Keys is much more like quick to react up and down. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, just easier to kind of have control over. Yeah, the physics felt a little bit different with his, just because of he's not really being held on by cables. Yeah. Where like the other pod racers were mostly held on by like those power cables. Or this one was it was machined in. I mean, his cockpit was ahead of the engines, and like the connectors were like actual chunks of like machinery. <laughs> like that's how they were all right. So I imagine his pod racer was probably maybe a little more aerodynamic. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if any of these are really aerodynamic. Who knows at this point? <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so those those are kind of the ones that I uh, took a lot of uh, pride in when I beat them. You know, super young. Um, you know, those were were tough, but I just kind of kept at it and was able to beat it. So I considered that a personal uh, win. Yeah, when you ever get back to it, you can try beating the the abyss now that oh, you're older God. and just uh, add that, that to your list, I suppose. That is like my biggest failure, not being able to beat that damn track. Because I think because you beat that track, I beat it a whole bunch of times. But it was I one of those things where I got good at it, and then you'd go back like a few months later and try it. I'm like, how how did I ever do this? Yeah, I couldn't do it. Right in the beginning of that track, you fought. You you have to almost be last for a little bit and make gains. Yeah, because you essentially you have to make that at least twice, if I recall. I think you can survive and get because the whole point is to win, right? Yeah, I think you can win if you at least don't fall off that top track twice. Yeah, uh, obviously you want to do it three times. If you do it only once, you're going to wind up in like last place. But two, I think you can actually win, if I'm not mistaken. It's difficult, but I think it's possible. I think I survived um, on the first two laps. I got through clean. On the last lap, I fell down, and yeah, I ended up losing. That, that makes sense. Um, like I said, I think it's possible, but yeah, you'll, you're, you're messed up. You automatically go to the back of the pack if you fall down there. It's probably better to fall from the first lap than the last lap. At least you have time to, to make amends. Yeah, what I used to do was if I fell down, I would restart the Oh yeah, that's what I started doing. Yeah, I was I would re I would restart immediately. That actually might be my first ever uh, time where I freaked out at a game. (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, (laughs) If you if you do it like ten times in a row, each each freaking time, and you're trying your best to stay on there, and you just get bumped with all like the crazy ass car. I mean, there's like twelve of you on like this thing. It's like it's like I don't know, trying to balance on a. Dry piece of spaghetti. I mean, yeah. it's, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just unbelie- unbelievably it's wishy-washy, uh, you know, kind of loose controls that you realize how bad it controls when, when you're on that when you're yeah. on the track. Um, Not good at all. Wow, this was really bringing up bad memories. Why'd you yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So that was, that was kind of my first uh, gaming accomplishment there. Okay. Um, I always, every single, I think every podcast we've had, is uh, Sonic Three and Knuckles? I yeah, mentioned, I mentioned Sonic Three and Knuckles. I'm gonna, you know, keep the tradition going. <laughs> uh, Sonic Three and Knuckles is a game I've played. I don't know if I've played it over and over again more than any other game, because Sonic is a game where once you finish it, you want to play it again. At least I do. And many, uh, you know, these games kind of suck. Are very challenging. You don't know what's in front of you when you first play it a couple times, but you get better and better as you keep going. So. I've played it so many times, I've had to come up with new challenges. Uh, like, maybe like five years ago, I'm like, hey, you know, I never really used to perfect this special stage, the fourth special stage, I think it is, in Sonic and Knuckles, that, that half of the game, that second half of the game, where it's the yellow and blue squares and all the rings are in the star balls in the special stages. So, what I decided to do, I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big boy now. I'm going to try to perfect all these special stages. Perfect getting all the rings before you get the last blue sphere blue sphere in all the stages. So I would uh, not finish a playthrough. I would actually lose on purpose in the special stage if I could not perfect a single one because I wanted to get I wanted to get that much better. And it's very difficult at least starting out to get all those rings in those ball in the in those uh that star bouncing star ring. Because the game gets fa- the in those special stages, you go faster and faster as longer you're in the special stage. Yeah. So you have to jump out of that area, over the ball, 
over the star ball and make a very quick turn to the right, not the left, but the right, uh, in between the corners of the blue and yellow squares. So the game knows you're trying to turn right. You can't do it on the, you can't do too late or you're going to go straight instead. Uh, too early, you'll turn on the on the star ball. And you go, ing, 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 ing. <laughs> and if you try to turn around, you'll either go back, and this time you're going faster now, so it's even harder. And if you have too many red spheres in front of you, see, oh my God, I can go on and on about this. You would have to, to start the level, you'd go whoop, whoop, whoop. And like within three blue, after turning three of the blue spheres red, you'd have to jump in there and get all the rings, jump out on the ball that was still blue in that same line of, of spheres and do that like three times, I think. And it would make uh, particular jumps you'd have to make later in that same special stage harder now that you've spent more time in there and it's faster at that point. But I've done it every single time since I decided to do that. Um, so that's one example about how I've tried to make Sonic 3 and Knuckles as many times as i played it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. More interesting. So there's other things I do too. Uh uh, every time I play Sonic 3 and Knuckles, I um, I try to get 999 rings in an act. So it's very easy. To, it's actually very easy to do in Flying Battery Zone Two or Flying Battery Act One. I don't remember, but there's this one playthrough where I got 999 rings in Marble Garden Two without finishing the act. But then twice more, launch base one at the end of an act, having 999 rings on the scorecard, and flying battery two. So three times, 999 rings. How do you do that? Well, you have to use and kind of keep in mind the amount of rings going into a star post for the glowing ball stage, where you leap from ball to ball. Yeah. If you do that, there's ring balls at the uh, at the top of those glowing ball bonus stages, which are worth... 80 rings. Ring balls that are worth 80 rings. Wow. And there's two of them. So if you get both to populate as not a one-up ball, but a ring ball, you can walk out of there with at least 160. That doesn't count all the rings you have gotten while you're working your way up through the glowing ball stage. It also doesn't count all the rings, ring boxes, big rings in the stage itself. So you do that. There's just a way you kind of... Yeah, every 15 rings, I think, uh, or I don't remember the math. I think, you know, when, when you have 24 rings, you go in there, it's like car, uh, casino night where you're doing the slot machine. When, I think it be, when you get 36 to 49 rings, or 35 to 49 rings, you know, as Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, or whatever, and you hit a star post, that's the glowing ball stage. When you get 50 to 64, that is the gumball stage. Oh, I didn't realize that that was a... That's right. Really? So that's how that determines where you go when you run past those posts. That's right, yep. It goes all the way up to 999. I think I actually have a chart saved on my computer that I would look at from time to time. Uh, And it's easier to do when you're supersonic or hypersonic because if you're like one ring above, you can activate hypersonic or supersonic, lose a ring, jump right into the special stage, uh, jump right into the bonus stage if you're right by a star post. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I would keep in mind what, uh, how many rings I had, where I am, you know, where where I am in that chart of which stage I'm going to get to, to uh, based on what rings I had. I'm not sure what it is for 300. There's actually a kind of a pattern when you have like 300, 400 rings, which is fairly easy to get uh, because the levels are so big, there's a lot of rings to get. So yeah. 
So that, that was an accomplishment for me because I, I did this thing I wanted to keep trying, 999 rings. I just like seeing 999 rings on the Yeah, on the why screen. not? And, you know, sometimes it's easy to rely on supersonic or hypersonic. This is kind of like a goal for me to keep building up rings because if you're spending time in supersonic or hypersonic, you're losing rings, not gaining rings. Yeah. So it kind of challenged me, hey, you know, keep a shield on, definitely. Uh and if you lose it, then become super hypersonic and find a star post when you're at the right number amount to get some more rings. Yeah. It's just it's just a personal challenge. You don't get a one-up for three, even for 300 rings, only 100 and 200. But it kept the game interesting for me. Okay. Um, this one, this uh, this one I do for Sonic 3 and Knuckles is even better, in my opinion. Um, I guess uh, this day... I like getting 99 lives before as early as possible. Uh, I don't want to use. I don't want to get to 99 lives by using that trick in launch base where you kind of spin dash in that, you know, eh, 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 and that dive bomb bird keeps hitting you, and the dive bomb bird will actually build up your score. Eventually, you'll get 10,000 for each one. 50,000 is a one up. So every time, you know, every five birds, when you build up that high, will give you one up. So you can't, I can't, I couldn't use that. I also do not die to get rings again and get the one ups in a stage. Yeah. Because if you die in Angel Island 2, there's a couple of one up boxes and you can get 200 rings. So that's four lives. If you lose one, that's three lives. If you die again, that's three lives. So plus three, plus three, plus three. I don't do anything like that. I just do the essentially the same strategy of getting 200 rings in each act, or at least try to. It's very easy when you know when the big rings, where they are. Um, you, so the you, and you have to uh, do the same strategy as 999 rings. You have to find the glowing ball stage. Okay. The glowing ball stage, uh, you know, yeah, you do want the big rings. Uh, you do want the ring balls at the top of the stage that give you 80. Those same ones, if they're not the 80 ring ring balls, they give you one-ups. You can get one-ups that way. Uh, you can also get one-ups eh, somewhat less consistently in any one of those bonus stages. Uh, less consistent in the gumball stage because you run out of bumpers on the sides. Okay. Uh, so this one time I, was my record. I don't think... It'd be very hard to beat it. 93 lives by the end of Carnival Night 2. That's the fourth act. That's the fourth zone, eighth act in Sonic 3. That's half of the game. Yeah. Uh, and my all-time goal, which I had never done before, I think it was like in June 2017, where I had 99 lives before the beginning of Ice Cap 2. 99 lives. You think of all these people who die can't maintain this stuff. I was getting 99 lives by the end of Ice Cap 2. Yeah. Uh, the middle, the you know, the second... Uh, act of the fifth zone in the game. Uh, it, it was always my goal to get 99 lives before launch base zone, uh, just because it was before there was even a risk of doing that whole dive bomb bird thing. Yeah. Uh, I had been trying to get 99 lives during launch base zone without doing that, of course, without doing the dive bomb bird trick, because when you get to Sonic for your knuckles half the game, when you get to, well, you can't get more than 100 lives. You can't get more than 99 lives. It'll do like that glitchy thing. It'll it'll glitch out. Uh, like it'll have a big when you see like when you see the number of lives at the bottom of the screen, it'll be like this big glitched out zero and then a regular zero right next to it. And then when you go to the next act, it's back to 99. 
Oh, that's, so that's weird. That's the significance of 99. Yeah, in one act, you can have like 110, but by the time you get to the next, at least the next zone, maybe the next act, you know, zone is the, you know, the whole zone, and act is the, the two halves of the zone. Yeah. Um, that's what, that's why 99 is important. Uh, but you, and you restart at 99 every new zone, at least every new zone. Uh, so that, that to me, you know, that's like almost peak performance, just really diving in. Not, you know, I, I always try to not die at all in Sonic Korean Knuckles. I just like making it race myself. How many can I get before, uh, it stops counting? Yeah. Um, so that, that's really, uh. That's that's kind of like my what I do for Sonic for your knuckles, and I don't think too many people do that. Uh, do you have anything else, Cal? Um, I have. Let me pull it up. I have. Uh, this one's kind of a strange one, and I'm not I'm not really sure why it is necessarily important. Um, but I put beating Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King on PlayStation Two. Um, that was a game that. Uh we all kind of pitched in to get after we um, helped some uh, relatives move. We got $50 each, I think. Um, so I think we ended up just like, I honestly don't really even remember what we ended up doing with that. I think we saved like 50. We kind of split it up in a way, uh, but we all kind of pitched in and got ourselves like a game. I think we all got $50, I think. Okay. Unless they gave us like a shared $50, which like, what the hell? That'd be pretty uh, lame. Yeah. I don't even remember this. Um, yeah, so I... I remember the game. I don't remember how we got it. Yeah, because I remember prior to that day, I was playing uh, NASCAR, uh, I think Thunder 2002, I want to say, on the PlayStation 2. Um, so I wanted to get a NASCAR game, but we were all really into Lord of the Rings during that time. So when we got home, we um kind of all took turns playing it um i kind of don't miss those days when we all had to kind of just share a console nobody does yeah like it's like super lame but the good part about that game is that we could play co-op and it was actually a really fun game i i think really fondly back on that game uh definitely a different time era where movie games were actually fairly decent for a little while there so it's kind of weird um but i just remember um, playing this game by myself and beating, uh, I guess when you're at the, the black gate, that was significant. I felt like that was kind of a, more of a tough level in that game. Um, so I thought that was really awesome. But then when I finally beat like Smeagol at the end, spoiler alert, if you guys never seen Lord of the Rings in like, the last <laughs> like 20 years, I don't, I don't know when that movie came out. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, when I beat Smeagol, I was like, holy crap, I just beat like a game. I feel like that actually might have been the first game that I actually like beat, like yeah. an actual campaign game. That Start I beat. to finish, yeah. Um, so I, I always always looked at that like, you know, as something that I was really proud of during that time. Um, and that kind of gave me like more momentum and more interest in other games and completing other games um, and actually, you know, playing through a game to its entirety. Because all the other like, you know, games that I played prior to that, were either like sports games or uh, I guess racing games or Sega Genesis games that I didn't really understand all that well. So this was definitely one of the the games that um, I remember clearly beating like all the way through to completion and doing all the, the extra stuff at the end. So um, yeah, that that just kind of came up to me. If I'm not mistaken, I think all three of us could could play that game at the same time, right? 
For some reason, I thought it was only two at once. I thought our sister could play as Legolas. I'd be like Gimli before we'd unlock Gandalf, and you'd be Aragorn. Yeah, I don't know. Is that wrong? Because I feel like the only, I feel like the only way that we could play was with two because we only had two controller slots on the PlayStation Two. Mm. So I feel like we like whenever it was like I guess Legolas's turn to come on. I guess Emmy would what hand we would hand it over to her. I, I, I don't think know. so. Well, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't know that. That was your first experience uh, beating a game. I mean, I have fond memories of that game too. Gandalf was OOP, so I always made sh- I would always make sure that I was him. Yeah. Um, those huge uh, light balls. Exactly right. I like his uh, when he slams down his staff too into the ground. You know, just like when he's on the uh, bridge of Casa Doom. Yeah, I remember we had uh, some cheat codes that we used to put on there for like uh, I don't even remember. What I don't, we used I don't remember them for. that either. Oh, you had unlimited uh, amount of like your I guess your magic or arrow supply depending on who okay. you were. Yeah. So you could just keep going choo, 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 <laughs> with yeah. your staff. That was the real. Oh my god! I guess we played that whole game with cheats. I know when I beat it, I did not use cheats. I can say. Okay. That. All right. Well, that's good. That's good that you're I, well, honest with yourself. I feel like that when we used the cheats, it was mainly for. That one mission, because I don't think you can use the cheats until you, you beat the game. Okay. I think that's when you're allowed to use the cheat codes. So I think you actually have to beat the game before you do that. Um, I could be wrong, but we use the cheats for like that bonus stage where like you're kind of in that courtyard. It's like a big round circle, and enemies just keep spawning in. Wow, I don't remember this. I know I remember we used to go pretty ham on that one level, uh, like the wall of Minas Tirith. Oh yeah, you could kind of knock the uh, the ladders down. Yeah, I I don't even remember that. I just remember like when, if we were to lose in a level, that would be the one. I feel yeah. like that was easiest to get overrun at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just remember firing yeah. spells off in that one more than the other ones in the well, other levels. Well, I remember probably my favorite memory from that game was when we were playing at the uh, the Black Gate. Like we were. Very close to, to beating it. I also like that a lot because Aragorn's wearing like his like king right gear. Um, but I remember we were playing that game and we paused it because mom came home from I guess like maybe Target or something. Right. Walmart. I don't really know where she used to go, maybe Toys R Us. Um, and she uh, brought us Lord of the Rings toys. So I remember she was kinda handing them out. We had like I guess like a Frodo that had like a glowing sword. Um, oh. we had, uh, I, I had Aragorn, Emmy had, I guess, Legless, and I think you had, uh, I want to say one of the, uh, ring wraiths. Maybe it was the witch king. Yeah. I think you did have the witch king. Okay. I have no idea what happened to those toys, but they were pretty awesome. They were big action figures. Yeah. Um, so I remember that like really clearly. I think um, the one I had had like a little clicky sword, like the, Marvel, oh, that's right. Yeah. Marvel yeah. Blade, you could click it in. It yeah. Pretty cool. So I just remember her bringing that home uh, while we were playing. So it was kind of it was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely fond memories of that game. A lot of fun. Very simple. Just uh, very enjoyable though. A lot of good combos. Just an old yep. fashioned hack and slash. Yeah, type be, game. Be, yeah, yep. Fun. Very fun though. Yeah, it was. You know, I think that the last level against Smeagol, you would actually have to be Frodo or Sam. Like the only time in the game where you had to play as Frodo or Sam. So all the leveling yeah. up you did, you're like level one playing Smeagol. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, I think, yeah, you we really didn't play as them that much. I mean, that's, I think you did play as them in the uh, the spider level. 
um, when you have to there play was a against spider level. Yeah, I think you had to be Sam against Shelob. Um, Holy and, crap! I don't remember that at all. Oh my god, it was awful. It was so bad. I like, don't remember that at all. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, and I think there was there were certain levels that I think you had to play as Sam. You didn't really play as Frodo that often unless you were playing co-op, if I remember correctly. Wow, I don't. Okay. But it's been such a long time. I mean, I could be completely wrong. Now, that's a game I should remaster. But it's a Return of the King. I mean, yeah. It's not, really, it's not really a critically acclaimed game. I'm not really sure. People love that game, though. I'm sure I've mentioned, seen that mentioned before that it the people just go ape, ape shit over that game. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure at some point we'll go back and we'll uh, look at this game like in like its own thing. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like that is kind of a part of our history and our backlog. Um, yeah. or at least a previous game that we played. Gaming history. Um, and I'm interested to to go in and look at some of these games and just see how they were, you know, critically, um, you know, reviewed and all that. So I think that would be extremely interesting. And how they play today, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was my uh, that was my one for for that. Just beating that game, I thought that was uh, you know, kind of a big deal at the time. Um. I want to. I think I don't think I've uh, we've gone through a uh, podcast where I haven't mentioned one of the Soulsborne's game Soulsborne uh, games. So I just want to keep the tradition going. Uh, Bloodborne. I don't even. You know, I was pretty high level when I beat Bloodborne, uh, New Game Plus One through all the way through uh, Plus Six. But I did do it. I had to survive each fight. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, you know, I platinumed it. Um, only I don't know five eight five to eight percent of players platinum. It's really not that hard to platinum in my opinion, especially when you get used to how it works and all that. Yeah. Um, one of the things about it though, which I was proud of, just the Orphan of Cause, uh, arguably the hardest boss in all of Soulsborne. In New Game Plus Five, I beat him without him going to the second phase. Second phase for Orphan of Cause is not automatic like uh lawrence is you get him down to 70 percent he breaks in half and crawls around the stage orphan of cause will eventually do it unless you keep him busy and maybe get a little lucky so new game plus five uh second hardest way to play uh orphan of cause uh the level you're at notwithstanding I was able to be so effective with my parrying with my handy dandy evelyn and I was able to take him all the way to uh, death without him going to the second phase. Uh, there's actually a few pictures I have saved on PlayStation with him frozen on the stage. Because you're not supposed to do that. It glitches him out. He just stands there when he's dead. When hmm. you don't, when he doesn't go to the second phase. And his little flappy things. I don't even know if you've ever seen this boss cow or what he looks like. But he's kind of got like wings almost that kind of lay behind him. And if you do the gesture that you get from uh, Eileen the Crow, where you kind of blow your cape back with your hands, uh, he'll his uh, little wingy thing will react to that. <laughs> so this guy is glitched out, more or less dead, but still standing upright. Uh, you can your gesture there will affect him. That's pretty funny. Yeah, you, know, you know, I bring that up because it is uh, you know it's New Game Plus Five or for Nikaz, you really do know, need to know what you're doing. With a gun to uh, to skip that second phase, um, yeah. In a way, it's actually less impressive uh, beating Orphan of Cause uh, when you only do his first 
first phase because the second phase is way harder with much more HP than his first phase. Yeah. But I don't know. I, it's just, uh, it was just, I was just very effective that day. Uh, so I'm pretty, pretty proud of that. Um, also, I did, so I platinum Bloodborne and I platinum Sekiro, which may be even a better accomplishment. Uh, just, uh, but you know, just like any other game, the more you play it, the better you get at. So, I mean, anyone's capable of doing that if they put the time in. Uh, to something I was really interested in doing, just to say I did. Uh, I do have more about Soul, Souls Cal, but do you want to chime in with anything you have before I keep going? Uh, you can keep going. So, uh, Dark Souls 1. Uh, when I had... So, I started out with Bloodborne, and then really liked that. So, I went to Dark Souls 3, which I was told by uh, a friend of mine uh, was the most like Bloodborne of the Souls games. Played Dark Souls 3, really liked it. And decided to then play Dark Souls 1 on Switch. Um, this game was the easiest of the three. I had learned a lot by playing New Game Plus 1 uh, with a great shield in Dark Souls 3. And it, it, being way, way, it being way easier than New Game in Dark Souls 3 when I was playing it like Bloodborne. Uh, so what I wanted to do when I when I started playing Dark Souls was to, as soon as possible, find a great shield. And after realizing most of these enemies just stand around when you compare it to Bloodborne or Dark Souls 3, mm -hmm. I wanted a big-ass weapon to swing when they were done their attack sequence. And I think when I got to Blight Town, I think I found both a, a great shield, the eagle shield, or the dual dragon shield. It's the wooden great shield. Okay. And the great club. Uh, once I got those two things, um, any struggles I had in the very early game were essentially a thing of the past. I made that game my bitch like immediately. <laughs> uh, as soon as I was equipped with what I was comfortable with. Yeah. I was very, very effective against the entire game uh, from then on. So, um, what I'm, you know, I don't think people like hearing about how you beat bosses on the first time. Um, you know, I'm not going to just sit here and say Dark Souls is easy. No, it's definitely a challenge, but... When you've played Bloodborne at this point to New Game Plus 6, yeah. with all the aggression that goes with that game, all the Chalice Dungeons, and all the situations you could possibly think of. Uh, and when you play Dark Souls 3, when I've already beaten Gale, I've already beaten Medir, and the, probably the most important boss for this first thing I'm going to bring up, Sister Frida. When you fight that gang fight, and the Demon print, the demon, uh, demon and Pain Demon from below as well, but especially Sister Frida. Which I probably, which is probably the DLC boss I struggle with the most. When you get to phase two, you're fighting Sister Frida and Ariandel, and that's a gang fight. So it's one of the guys, you know, with his big ass bowl of fire crawling around the ground, uh, huge ass. I mean, he's he's a he is definitely a damage sponge. You att mostly attack him while Sister Frida tries to heal you in the heal him in the second phase. Um, that was very difficult to coordinate doing that the first time playing it like bloodborne, uh, very difficult to coordinate. She's like throwing like these ice paths that can cause you frostbite, which takes your health away and, uh, hurts your stamina regeneration, but also knocks you up in the air. So if you get knocked up in the air and father Ariandel is, you know, crawling along the ground with this big ass bowl and it lands on you, you're dead, you're toast. So I died many, many times to, to, to sister Frida especially in that second phase, um, playing it like Bloodborne. When I play co-op nowadays, it's it's unbelievably easy, but 
uh, there was a time where I was really struggling to get used to it. Yeah. So what's the most famous gang fight in Dark Souls? Well, it's probably Ornstein and Smog. Uh, when I got to them, I'm like, I'm going to uh, put on Havel's set, which is a very heavy but very defensive-oriented set. Um, I got my got my great shield. I got my big club. The great shield is uh, apparently very good defending against lightning, and those two attacks are lightning attacks, especially from Ornstein, the Dragon Slayer. I go into this boss. I'm like, I'm getting really serious. No more fooling around. Uh, so I beat these guys on the first try. First time, you know, one of the most famous bosses ever in gaming. I beat him on the first try. And I think, you know, I don't I don't try to talk about that that much. It's because of the topic that kind of makes me want to discuss it. I had a lot of experience before then, especially in Dark Souls 3, to get me to this point where I can just go into this boss and wipe the floor with him. I start attacking Smog. I start attacking Ornstein. There's no HP to these guys. They don't have a whole lot of HP. I'm like, right away, I am not going to die in this fight. Right away. I mean, I have this great club that I've buffed up. Yeah. I'm two-handing it. I'm timing everything perfectly. Uh, and, I, you know, even like the first couple hits, I'm like, there's no way they're going to get me. Uh, I mean, you, you, what you do with Sister Frida and Far, Father Ariandel, you kind of line them up. The character, one enemy, and enemy two. You kind of line them up. Uh, I did the same thing with Ornstein. The pillars don't get all destroyed. The, the, the stumps are still there, and I don't think they can walk through it. So you can actually position yourself where one of them gets stuck on the stump while the other one's coming at you. And you can just kind of leave one of them back there while they're doing their attack sequence. They'll eventually get out of it and find you, but by then you're keeping an eye on that eye on the same time. And like I said before, a lot of these bosses just stand there. Yeah. Like that's what's so easy about Vicar Amelia is that you realize, you know, in Bloodborne, one of the uh, uh, required bosses you have to fight, he kind of just sits there for a lot of fights. So what do you got to do? Well, you got to go ham. You just got to keep swinging whatever weapon you're using and get that damage down until she starts moving again. So, you know, sw- you know, spear from Ornstein. Well, you get the two-handed club and you come down. So he's got like, that's one-fifth of his health gone. So I'm like, this is, this is unbelievable. So sure enough, I beat those guys. But that wasn't the only boss I beat on the first try. And I'll just list them off the ones I beat on the first try. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's the one. It's uh, But uh, it, it's more important bosses that I beat on the first try. Sif, Quelog, Knight Artorius, and Manus. Uh, Knight Artorius and Manus are probably considered one of the harder bosses in Dark Souls Remastered, Dark Souls 1. But nonetheless, I beat him on the first try, essentially for the same reasons that, uh, well, I wouldn't say that. Manus doesn't really jump all around the stage. He does have a violent rampage attack, but yeah, yeah, I've used this great shield to absorb... Uh, health and it beats down stamina and once I'm running out of stamina I'll kind of position myself away where I can release the shield and build up stamina again we get ready to defend and all that so yeah I mean these aren't aren't that impressive just because I don't play up like Bloodborne where I don't two-hand the weapon uh for that long I do switch from two to one so I can use the great shield again when they're doing their attack sequences it worked for me uh I'm still fairly impressed with myself um there are two bosses that I did not beat on the first try that's Calamite and uh, Four Kings. I'm, you know, this is easy for me to say, right? Because it's long in the past now, but I'm fairly confident I would have beat Calamite on the first try if I had not tried to cut his tail off. On the second try, I did cut his tail off and I did win. Okay. I didn't beat Four Kings on the first try because there's a kind of an irritating area where you got to go through a whole bunch of dark wraiths 
to get to that boss fog. So you don't have any, you know, you ran out, I ran out of Estes and all that stuff or I just wasn't prepared to walk in there. Uh, you know, I fought when I got there a second time, I was much more clean going through the path that I knew now and went through the path where the least amount of enemies were. I beat him on the second try. Um, I'm proud of that. I mean, yeah, I do use that huge ass crutch in the shape of a great shield, but you still have to do it like Sekiro, right? You got to time it right. If you want to save stamina, you can't just let it stay. You can't just hold it up against you the whole time. Eventually, you'll wear out of stamina, and you'll he- your health will go, and your stamina is at zero. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. That is my list, Cal, of uh, uh, accomplishments that I wanted to talk about tonight. Uh, do you have anything else? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I, I I would like to. I mean, I'd like to get into those games at some point. Um, it's just, oh man, it seems like such like a, it seems like there's so much uh, to them <laughs> that it's like, it, it kind of gets like overwhelming. It's like, uh, you know, where, I mean, where do you even start, start with that kind of stuff? Um, Cause I just know like when I would play uh, Dark Souls, I just wanted to just, uh, you know, it's kind of one of my, uh, my failures of not completing the games. But um, I mean, there's just certain moments in that game where it's like you get beat down by, you know, even just like the the basic enemies where you get, you know, cursed or something. It's just like, Oh my God, now I have to go through and do all this shit. And it's just, it's so demoralizing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Those games I probably get uh, the least frustrated at just because I already know what I'm getting into. Okay. That's kind of what keeps me going. It's like, I already, I already know I'm going to die. Yeah. I already know I'm going to die. Like there's other, there's also whole, there's a whole bunch of bosses that are not very famous at all. Like moonlight butterfly. I died oh, to moon- yeah, I remember that. I did. I died to Moonlight Butterfly, and Seath more than the bosses I listed. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, uh, I I think I got killed by that butterfly too. That's like a real. I mean, yeah, it's kind of annoying. It does all that spell stuff, and you're really not equipped with it in the early game. Yeah. to defend against that. Um, yeah, that was kind of strange. But in a lot of these bosses, there's not a bonfire nearby, so you gotta like run back to them quite a distance. I oh, think that's God. what Dark Souls 3 did really good. Like, a lot of these big bosses have a bonfire, like, right next to where they got to fight them. Yeah. Uh, so you don't waste a whole lot of time. That's why kind of one of the, this boss I'm on Dark Souls 2, this Dark Lurker. Uh, you have to go through these areas with all these enemies, and it's just like, Jesus, I just want to fight the boss again. And then when you get to the boss, it's like, your strength build doesn't work against them. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, they're, they are worth it when you, when you get familiar with how things work. Yeah, yeah, and I know like the bosses I did beat in there. I didn't include any on this list, um, but the bosses that I did beat um, in that game, I did feel definitely a sense of accomplishment when I was able to take them down and almost outsmart them in a way, um, or figure out a way that you know I can <laughs> I can actually do it and have an opportunity to attack and and all that. Um, that was it. Did kind of feel like an accomplishment because it's. Uh, it's a little bit different than a lot of the games that I've played. So I definitely did feel a sense of accomplishment on there. I just didn't put it on here because I never completed the game. So I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to include them on here. Um, so I guess the next one on my list would be beating Twilight Princess. Mm. Um, first Zelda game. And it was honestly kind of like one of the more challenging games that I think I ever played during that time because you know a lot of puzzles and all that and I wasn't really um I wasn't really well versed in that type of game 
so it was really new and different for me when I was playing it. Um, but just like I think you know, beating uh, uh, Zant in that game that was kind of a big deal. And you go into like the Twilight Realm that right. was really neat. Yeah. Um, you know, really that was a really cool boss fight actually, just because of how like ridiculously. I mean, it just he completely broke his character when he, you know, kind of takes his mask off and. You know, he's doing all the weird dancing and stuff. Yeah, it's like kind of derpy and all that. Yeah, is this? Yeah. Um. So beating him was a big deal because he was kind of painted as like you know falsely so, but he was kind of painted as like you know the primary villain in the game. Bad. Yeah. But then it turns out to be Ganondorf, and that whole Ganondorf battle to me was like really epic because, like I said, there was I never played anything like that. Like a four phase boss. Yeah. yeah, that was brand new to me. I mean, really, all those bosses were. I thought that were really neat. Um, but just like finishing the game and just like, you know, seeing like the almost like the, the credits roll um, and just seeing like, you know, the aftermath of the game. And that was that was kind of like the first, uh, you know, really, I guess during that time, the first like really challenging game that I was able to um, to complete. So that was that was really cool. And, and also, you know, one of my favorite games of all time. Um, so beating that was was really cool. Yeah, it was like our first game. We had to put like a lot of time in to to kind of knock out. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like playing Sonic where you can beat it within an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I mean that was I'm assuming probably at least forty hours, it's, maybe it's, more. I'm pretty sure if you go back to the Wii, the disc we have for the Wii, that's forty hours. I think when I hundred percented it on the for the HD version for the Wii U. That's like a sixty-hour thing, but there's more. There's more to do, and of course, the uh, the HD version. Yeah. So that's kind of short, uh, kind of small compared to the other games you know we have that we've put a lot of hours in. But yeah, that was like our first like epic experience. So yeah. Like I just remember when it was any, nice seeing all those credits and all that. Yeah. Very like, satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like whenever something happened in that game, it felt like such a big deal because. I mean, there was just nothing else that I played to compare that to. Yeah. Um, everything seemed like it had consequences, and um, I don't know. It just seemed like the the risk was greater in that game than anything I played. Everything I played prior to that was very lighthearted, and yeah, it was neat though. I I, I really I really really uh, love that game, and beating it was just. Uh, I mean, it just felt great. It's like you know, I can't believe like. I've been through all this crap in this game. I've been through all this stuff, all the crazy things that occurred, and like I completed it. I got through. It's good. You pulled it off, yeah. Yes, that was really awesome. Um, Another accomplishment that I put on here, and this isn't a game that I necessarily beat, um, but I look at it as um, one of my more prouder moments, and that was when I was playing Monster Hunter uh, 3 Ultimate on the 3DS. I had the original Monster Hunter try on the Wii, and I wasn't very good at it. Like, I got to a certain point, and I was like, all right, I'm starting to get it, but it's still kind of difficult. Um, the proud moment on the 3DS was when everything started to click for me, and I started to really understand how to go about, you know, defeating the monsters and, and doing all that. Um, there was a, a span of probably about maybe five or six enemies that I never got a chance to play against in the uh, the try version just because I just wasn't good enough. And it was probably actually probably more than five or six, but I basically got into the point where no matter what monster I was facing, I felt like I was really prepared. I felt confident going into the, the fights and 
I just felt like I was kind of playing at my peak. Like I wasn't taking damage. I wasn't losing my food buffs from dying. And I was able to just, you know, kind of slug it out, not burn through all my health things and just, you know, take the game very slowly, but then very aggressively when I needed to be. Um, and I just made it through like a whole bunch of monsters really quick um, without, um, you know, without dying. So I thought that whole stretch, eventually I stopped playing the game and then that, you know, skill level kind of dipped again. I'm going to have to try to pick that up again if I ever uh, start playing Monster Hunter consistently again. But just during that time, I, was, I felt really proud because it's like, you know, this is a game that I struggled with very badly <laughs> for a very long time, um, you know, from generation to generation, essentially, because the Wii to the 3DS. Yep. Um, so uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to to kind of pick that up and start seeing things kind of click and understanding, you know, the monster patterns and all that. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, now the next one, um, is, uh, this one's kind of a, a weird one. Um, I put multiple rocket league comebacks. Um, okay. one of the things with rocket league is I don't want to go too, too deep into this. Um, but one of the things with rocket league is that, People quit very easily in that game. If they get down by more than two goals, I'd say that you know the FF rate is pretty uh, is pretty darn high. Um, but I mean we've been we've been down four goals, five goals, six goals, and we keep playing because it's only a five minute game, and it's still fun to try to you know mount a comeback or you know at least try to get some kind of positive momentum heading into the next game. Like I I, I think that's great. And there's been multiple occasions where, you know, you have like uh, just like this huge lead against you and you just kind of like you st- you stand in there and, you know, I've been on the opposite side of this, but like one positive thing happens and you get a goal and then all of a sudden it seems like the momentum has just completely shifted. It's like almost like the other team was like napping or it's just, I don't know, something happens, something occurs where it's like a comeback just starts to feel inevitable. It's like, I've, like I said, we've been on, on that side of it too, where it's probably like, more than the, uh, yeah, on the, like the comeback side. Yeah. Like the choke side is probably where we've been more on. Yeah. But my favorite thing and the biggest accomplishments are the games and there's been multiple situations where down by a lot and you end up t- you end up tying it with, you know, seconds left on the on the, yep. the clock. It feels great. I mean, just like the overall like hey, for whatever reason I couldn't get anything going early on, now I'm in the zone and things are just clicking. Mm-hmm. Um that is like the most fun and because most of the time it happens with, you know, people that you know, uh, I think it makes it way more fun because then you can talk about it later on and it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I put that as one of them and this other one I put as, um, building a really strong team on Madden, uh, on Madden and beating Dakota. So we, (laughs) (laughs) we, he's uh, really good at Madden, right? He's very good. Um, we created a franchise, uh, two Maddens ago, two Madden, Maddens, Maddens ago. Um, and we had like probably about like seven years in that franchise so in seven years, I mean, a lot happens. Like we made some ridiculous trades that probably would never, ever, ever happen. Um, like you know, Dakota traded for like Odell Beckham Jr. So he had like Des Bryant and Odell on his team. It's like <laughs> I think I traded like 
for Adrian Peterson and ended up trading him to the Redskins, which ironically, Adrian Peterson Wound ended up, up with there. the Redskins. Life, yeah. um, I also brought Nick Foles back to you know Philly, which ended up happening. I brought Alshon Jeffrey to Philly, which ended up happening. I also traded him to the Reds. Or no, I, he wouldn't sign with me again. He ended up signing with the Redskins. Obviously, that didn't happen in real life. Um, but there was there are certain things where we ended up predicting, um, you know, kind of a lot of things that played out eventually in the real world, which is pretty funny. Um, but essentially, it got to the point where my team was just – it would not win any games anymore. I was having problems. I couldn't beat Dakota. So I basically went into rebuilding mode where um, excluding uh, like Carson Wentz, uh, anyone that was over 30 or 30, I released. I just <laughs> cut them completely. And just went into full rebuild mode. It's I like traded Bill away. Walsh. It's like yeah. Bill Walsh, the Niners. I traded away all the star players I had. I had Le'Veon Bell at one point. I had uh, Antonio Brown at one point. Um, I traded them all the way for high draft picks, and I build. I just built through the draft. So I looked for certain, uh, I guess, uh, attributes to the players. Um, such as like for my linebackers, my primary objective was to get speedy linebackers. I was trying to find the fastest one. So I, I would do like the little research option and look at their like, you know, um, 50 yard dash and all that where they ranked in terms of speed. And essentially I built uh, a, a brand new secondary. Um, I drafted a wide receiver, um, in the last round of the draft, he was like not even projected to be a pick. He turned out to have a superstar development, which is kind of rare. And he ended up like in like his fourth season, he was like already tied in like touchdowns with Jerry Rice. So he was like, <laughs> it was, it was ridiculous, but there was just certain things. I mean, it was just a lot of fun because like he was building his team through the draft and it, you know, he had the Dallas Cowboys. I had the Eagles. Um, they kind of became more or less our teams because they were like our guys that we brought in there. And my defense ended up getting to the point where it was so good that the final game that I played against Dakota, I ended up beating them. Like my defense that I built from rookies to, you know, when whenever they ended up being, um, like he would try to run to the outside. My linebackers were so fast. Like it was everything that I wanted, I drafted and they all turned out to be, you know, key pieces. Nice. Um, so it was it was just a lot of fun and and Whenever I beat Dakota in those games, I mean, it, it's very rare that I do. Like, I, I get better throughout the year as, like, I get more and more used to each Madden because each Madden kind of is slightly different. They, like, tweak something that makes the gameplay a little bit different, so you kind of have to get used to it. But once I get used to it, like, my, my best chances of beating Dakota are the first game we play together because we're both getting used to the game. Right. And then like our last game <laughs> that we play throughout the year because I start to kind of <laughs> catch up and start to, you know, play better. But I will say that playing with playing with Dakota makes me a way better player. If I play anybody else, I freaking destroy them because <laughs> I'm trying like I'm playing against them like they're, you know, like they're Dakota, like, you know, the guy I play with from work. He is not very good. And I beat the shit out of him every time we play. <laughs> we have yet to complete a game where he hasn't rage quit, like just turned off his PlayStation. <laughs> Um, what makes you so good though? How do you get so good? Do what you're saying. Is that like a franchise thing too, or is this like just taking two teams and well, playing against each other? It's the thing with, I guess, because Dakota actually has we, me and him have have gone into, I guess, um, almost like practice mode together, and he's kind of helped me determine like coverages and you know things like that. Um, so 
when I'm playing against my friend, he only selects a f certain amount of plays. So when I see it on, like on when I'm on the offensive side of the ball, I see his formation. I can kind of tell what coverage. If you know he's not going to disguise his cover three, he's not going to disguise his cover two. Um, based off of you know how he's positioned, you know I can kind of determine if there is you know going to be a blitz. If you know he's stacking the the box with linebackers, then you know is there a shortage somewhere else? Is there like a, a mismatch? Is his corner slower than you know the guy I have on the outside? So I can kind of adjust on the fly. I can call the same play over and over again, but completely change it, change the the you know routes. Yeah, and he won't be able to cover it because I have advantages there. Like he is. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of hard to explain, but basically, you know, you can kind of pick up, um, you know, what they're doing and kind of read what the best play is, and you can kind of audible to a play that matches personnel personnel. Yeah. Um, and you know, and just like on defense, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that you're supposed to call your defensive play based on the cue that Madden gives you. It'll tell you how many receivers are in their huddle and how many running backs are going to be on the field. So you can kind of determine what kind of play it's going to be. But you can also kind of throw people off like that. You can call a shotgun play and have all those receivers. They'll come out in more of a, a pass-oriented defense, and you can run the ball, and you have an advantage there depending on yeah. you know O-line and all that. Okay. So it's uh, it's very intricate, and I think um, playing with him, I kind of just naturally pick it up because he plays very strategically, I think. Yeah. Um, I think he has a certain amount of plays that he, he runs, but he does a very good job at disguising them and – um, I don't know. He's he's very good at defending anything that I do. Sometimes I'll have drives where he can't stop me, and same same with him. Like yeah. I'll just not be able to stop him. But I I play a little bit. I think unconventionally in terms of moving around with the quarterback. I like to move around and open up passing lanes that aren't there if you stay in the pocket. So, um, it's uh, it, it's it's very uh, it's very fun and very rewarding. You know, just playing in general and learning that stuff it's kind of like an accomplishment all its own yeah um but that franchise mode though was a ton of fun and we're probably going to do it again this year um because the connected franchise modes are just so much fun um but yeah that so that's probably the last one on on my list okay um now i do have um some people's accomplishments on twitter i figured i'd just save them to the end because i figured that we would have a decent amount um, so this one is at ultimate guys, my proudest gaming moment. Yes, this is Tetris DS, AKA one of the best Tetris games out there. The picture in the background is a reference to the original Tetris on the NES and Game Boy. It's great that when Nintendo made this game to show, uh, it was great that, uh, it's great that back then Nintendo made this game to show Nintendo gaming history. So I guess in this sense, this was more of a, not really a personal accomplishment, but kind of just he was proud of, I guess, Nintendo's. I guess just something that Nintendo did. It kind of triggered like, you know, nostalgia or something. So I guess that kind of just made him proud, you know, knowing that uh, Nintendo, you know, kind of went back and gave a reference to their older game. So I was a little bit confused with this one. And, you know, these are, are kind of taken out of context a lot of times. But, um, you know, I thought that was kind of neat because it wasn't like a traditional, uh, you know, proud. It wasn't really because he's not really saying uh, accomplishment. He's saying it's his proudest gaming moment. So this is kind of like, you know, he's kind of proud. I guess Tetris has come this far along. That he's witnessed this. Yeah. Okay. So I thought that was pretty cool. It was something different. 
Um, this is at uh, Freeze Twenty Three Gaming. Uh, I'm happy that Halo Three is trending. This is a couple weeks ago that I, I you know, accumulated these, so it's probably not trending right now. Um, the game brings back so many great memories, and beating the game on Legendary Solo and Co-op was so fun. I enjoyed getting all the achievements too, and one of my proudest moments was when I earned the recon helmet. I found this on my file share, and it basically has a picture of him with his uh, recon helmet on. So it's cool that you know he's able to take a picture of that with his system. Um, it's not really that long ago, and you weren't able to really take that. You know, you just did something, and there's no way to share it. Right. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, that's definitely relatable. Um, there's certain games where you unlock like armor sets, or you get something like even Monster Hunter. When you unlock like a certain armor set, it takes so long to build up to that point to like farm all the parts you need to craft the set. I could definitely like you know understand that that's kind of a big deal. Um, so yeah, I definitely understand why that would feel like an accomplishment to get something like that because, you know, it's just, it's, it kind of shows like you accomplished something and did something in game, which I think is like really cool. It's not like nowadays where you just get like, you know, microtransaction to get accessories and yeah. all that stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, this is at small fruit loop. Um, my proudest gaming moment was in destiny Two having a higher kill death ratio and being number one on the board uh more than the very guy who introduced me to games and first person shooters um so i kind of feel bad for his uh his friend that introduced him because now uh i guess a somewhat newer player is already kind of surpassed him that's how it goes yep that's just how it is uh at unpure apostle uh, my biggest accomplishment was hitting Pirate Legend in Sea of Thieves, joining the 1% of the game that has done so. Uh, personal gaming win. So that was kind of like an example of a uh, just a, a personal achievement. Um, so I wanted to just, um, I kind of skipped this part. I figured I'd save it to the like the last portion just because I thought this was kind of a, a cool, um, or an, I guess an interesting question because you you mentioned like uh, platinums and, and all that. Um now, for you, what what do you find more important? Because there's so many different types of achievements and accomplishments, and um, you know, goals and, and different things. I mean, there's just there's a lot of a lot of like I guess um, that goes into saying like you know you accomplish something. So do you do you find something um, more I guess satisfying when it's like a personal accomplishment or? when it's like more of like a defined accomplishment like you know Xbox achievements or PlayStation trophies. Yeah, well, personal accomplishments um I think personal accomplishments are more important. Uh there's something they've set up that you, you can test yourself against. Yeah. Uh you know, platinum trophy. That's the famous trophy, but there's other trophies that are kind of dumb. Yeah. Bronze trophies, gold, you know, silver trophies. Uh, like in Metal Gear Five, you know, you can collect the animals by putting uh, an item down in a, a particular part of the map. Um, it doesn't really serve a whole, you know, purpose. Yeah. But there's a trophy to, that you've collected all the animals. Uh, you know, it's hard to get without a guide because it's a huge open world game. Yeah. You're putting down this little item in this one spot, you're trying to look for like a carcarol. Yeah, you don't know where to find it. There's no, there's, you have no idea. Yeah, uh, unless you know where they live, it just doesn't work. Uh, so 
you know, I think it's really great when you get a platinum trophy for a Bloodborne. Ooh, you know, Bloodborne, ooh, hard game, you know, platinum. But yeah, they're silly ones. Uh, like you know, uh, Dark Souls Two, Scholar of the First Sin. You get a trophy for dying the first time. <laughs> okay, that's pretty silly. But you know, maybe a better one would be you know do a and a soul level five or fifteen or twenty or even SL one run, a soul level one run where you're be trying to beat the game with as little health and as little attack power as possible. Yeah. Uh, that's a personal accomplishment you uh, hold for yourself. That's such a difficult task, you'll never see an official one, an official cookie-cutter trophy for that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably more satisfying, and it's something you can test yourself again. Uh, sometimes people do uh, deathless runs. They want to fight every boss without dying. Uh, there's no trophy for that either. That's uh, way too difficult. Uh, I think in most cases you'll never see something like that. So personal trophies, personalized ones can be harder um, and really test yourself. Almost like a setting a, setting aside a personal best for you. Yeah. Uh, something you can keep getting better at. Where trophies are more, you know, by the numbers in, in a lot of cases. And really just a conglomerate with the uh, cumulative for the platinum trophies. That's all it is. You've done a whole bunch of spending time in a game. And this is the uh, more or less a symbol for it. Um, you know, some of these you got to spend a lot of time on. You didn't really do anything all that difficult. You just spent, uh, you know, you more more or less wasted time uh, doing like the covenant items, getting all the covenant items in Dark Souls Three. Where if you're trying to get all the miracles, all the sorceries, etc., and you have to uh, do certain covenant tasks, like uh, like there's a Dark Moon covenant covenant, you may need to get a special ring. And you have to, after you get these 20 uh, or 30 uh, ears, uh, proof of Concord kept, I think they're called, you get 30 of those after helping other people in the same covenant kill invaders. You 30, 30 of them, that's a freaking a lot. Or you can farm the, the Silver Knights on in Orlando. Uh, and that's just one covenant. You got to do it like three more times for four different covenants. So, yeah. uh, but you have to, the platinum, it, you have to, spend all that time and you're not necessarily enjoying yourself while you're doing it. Um, I'd much, I'd much rather play like a whole bunch of co-op and get a whole bunch of sunlight medals, uh, because that's way more fun, but it's not, you don't get a trophy for getting 600 or 700 sunlight medals. Um, you know, rock, another example, you know, rocket league, you're required to play season mode to get a platinum trophy. Uh, uh I actually did this like two months ago. Oh really? I'm like, oh man, I'm really close to this. What do I have to do? And it's like you gotta play season and beat all the CPU teams in one season. I'm just what? like, are you shitting me? <laughs> Five minutes. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I don't. I don't want there to be a risk of me losing it all. Oh yeah. So I made him like easy as possible and just like dribble the ball around for five minutes each time so the game wouldn't stop. Like I'd score like two goals to make it safe and then just run the clock out. Oh my god. Um. Oh my yeah. god. Uh, so. It, 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 I didn't feel satisfied at all getting that platinum trophy. I'm like, I, I literally just uh, played the CPU for two hours. Oh, God. Just to say I had it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. Uh, sometimes platinum trophies are way too hard to get. Uh, I, I actually went, uh, looked at this before we started the podcast. Okay. GTA Five, the platinum. Right now, it's at a point, uh, point one platinum rate. Holy crap. Point, point one. I think there's a lot of players, too. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of online achievements that are actually in vanilla GTA's 
uh, trophy list that you have to get to get platinum. Wow. Uh, at least how I understand it. Um, so compare that to like Sekiro, which I'm sure is at like 8%. Yeah. Uh, challenging game. You got to beat the game, I think, four times. Uh, I think four times to to get platinum trophy. And this GTA game, which isn't which isn't challenging, uh, I think most of it's not challenging, not compared to Sekiro. Yeah, it's just so much less than that. Um, like you know, one of the things you got to do is you got to make a profit on the investments in the stock market in the game. What that's, the hell? I think that's a trophy. So that's one of the trophies you'd have to get the to get the platinum trophy. Oh uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I have Googled that before to see what it was entailed. And when I found the answer, this was like three years ago. I'm like, <laughs> why would I ever do this? Why would I ever do this? I'd rather just drive around uh, a whole bunch, uh, and you know, go through in between cars and stuff, and uh, do this. I mean, you're like on your cell phone and you're picking like companies. There's probably a trick to it that you can learn in game. But why? Why would you spend time doing that? We can just drive around and shoot oh, things. God, you know. Uh, there's fun trophies too. Cal, I can keep going uh, again uh, if you want to add anything. Uh, uh, I'll let you go ahead, but uh, like I said, I do have more here. Um, I just wanted to throw this in real quick because yeah. uh, me and Dakota were playing MLB the other night, and he told me, just because we we're talking about trophies, um, it uh, just kind of jogged the memory in my head. He said that he was playing Road to the Show mode, and his team got no hit, and he <laughs> actually got a trophy for a no-hitter, even though the other team threw the no-hitter. Wow. So I thought that was pretty funny. That's interesting. Because, uh, yeah, after the game, he's like, what the heck happened? Oh, did you read that story where someone got a trophy for not playing a game for five years? Did you read that headline? No. All right, I don't remember this. You just made me think of it. Um, uh, man, this would have been a great thing to mention. Maybe we can just follow up on this next time. There's this, this guy didn't play a game for five years on Steam, I think, and he got a trophy for it. But when he turned it on again, the trophy went away. What? Because the streak broke? Something like that. we got to look more into that. Oh, man, uh, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I have that all right, but reading that was very interesting. What It just feeds into the fact that these, the things you don't set up for yourself that every, anyone can do, they're not always the best. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say here. Now, you know, Sonic Mania kind of does it kind of cool. Uh, you, It's a very small trophy list. There's no platinum trophy because these are fairly easy to do. Um, to get these these bronze trophies, uh, like there's a part in Studioopolis in Sonic Mania. I think it's Studioopolis one. I think it is. It, actually, you know what? I think of it. It probably is Studioopolis Act two, where you have to get your picture taken. Okay. There's those little uh uh, uh ro- robots, botnicks. Uh, you know, I think the bots in the, those games actually have a name, and I can't remember it. All of a sudden, I'll have to look that up. Anyway, the enemies in the level take pictures of you studioopolis like they're actually that's part of their their kind of thing that's weird and they take little flashes but there's this one area where there's a whole bunch of them like five or six instead of just one flying around it's five or six yeah i mean your character like speeds up to them they'll come out of this little hole in the wall and i'll take your picture <laughs> so if you find that little area that's a trophy oh okay and that's kind of like uh you know christian whitehead made this game with a whole bunch of help uh there's there's trophies for sonic mania sonic cd as well and I think one of the ones is finding the Angel Trophy in Wacky Workbench. So a lot of these things are kind of a callback to that, Sonic CD. Hmm. Uh, so that's one. And there's also, you find like a secret submarine in oil ocean. There's a few submarines that are uh, in plain sight, but there's one you have to go beneath the oil to find. 
uh, which is pretty cool. And that's a trophy. You get a trophy for that. Um, you know, there's one, you know, it's very, this is an easy one. It sounds hard at first when you uh, do uh, uh, start a Speedway Act 2. You have to do it within a minute. But it only took me a very few tries to get that trophy, like maybe three or four times to actually get the level under me. It's a very fast level. I think if you take the high road, you're you're pretty much golden. Um, so I like how you know that that those are trophies that are available to everyone. Those are accomplishments that are available to everyone. They're kind of fun. Yeah, don't really take a whole lot of time. Yeah, you don't really get that satisfying platinum trophy, but they aren't really that difficult to to really make you deserving of one in the first place. Um, uh, some of my, uh, favorite achievements are personal ones. Uh, I mentioned Sonic 3 and Knuckles before, uh, Sonic 1, I do try to get like 25 lives by the end of the game. That is a very challenging game. And, you know, it spikes in that game will inst will, will insta kill you. You can't bounce off of them. You'll like lose your rings. No, you'll lose your shield. You'll lose your rings and you die. There's no after hit invincibility when you land in the spikes oh, really? in that, in that original that. game. Yeah. So that one's challenging. So I try uh, much less. This is much less satisfying, in my opinion, than Sonic Three Knuckles. But I try to end the game with about twenty-five lives. I mean, as a little kid, I would struggle to like not get continues. Yeah. Uh, but twenty-five lives now, yeah, you know, makes me like, wow, I've really come a long way in my uh, game playing experience. Oh yeah. Uh, this is a kind of a common one. Sonic Two, uh, Chaos Emeralds, getting them all before the end of Emerald Hill Zone. There's actually eight star posts in um spread across Emerald Hill one and two. Uh Chaos Emeralds in Sonic Two can be challenging if you're playing a Sonic and Tails. You have to get more rings and you have to kind of control Tails. Uh he's like has a little bit delay when you're in that uh, half pipe. But uh you know getting getting all of the Chaos Emeralds, you know, when you you, there's so many rings in these in these two first acts that you can it is possible to get them all uh, between all the star posts that are there. Uh, it's, it's very satisfying when I have Supersonic right at the start of the game, uh, right as you get into even before Emerald Hill, even before Emerald Hill ends, you could be playing a Supersonic if you were good enough. Uh, Sonic Three Knuckles. I don't know if I've actually ever done this, but I try to do it when I go in there. Uh, is not dying at all. Uh, yeah, having all those lives is nice, but it's even harder to not lose any single one of them. I don't know if I actually have done it, but it means a lot to me when I play a game that kills a lot of that a lot of people die when they play, and me doesn't kill me at all. It's just a kind of reflection of how much I care about this game, not to have my character die in it. Yeah. Uh, to me, that uh, it, you know, it's not necessarily a personal best. Uh, to but you know, it makes games more interesting. Whereas once you get the easy to play trophies, you pretty much never you pretty much never think of them again. That's you, true. You could say that about platinum trophies too. I do. I you know I don't really brag about platinum trophies. These are, these are video games we're talking about. You know, I mean, it's not uh, these aren't earth shattering revelations. So, but these personal bests that you kind of test yourself win on test yourself with on your favorite games uh, keeps you going. Keeps you keeps you playing them even though they've uh, you know they've long come and gone. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I think personal accomplishments add longevity to what you like to play. And uh, certainly I keep trying to build off of what I've done so far. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly second that as well. Uh, platinum trophies and really just trophies in general, I just never really felt the need to do it. 
Um, even Spider-Man, I've I, you literally get a platinum trophy for just completing everything in Spider-Man. I don't have a platinum trophy in it just because there's maybe one or two things I didn't do. Um, but I beat the game and was satisfied, and I'll probably go back to it eventually and, and complete those things because um, I want to go back for the DLC. But trophies in general don't mean much to me, and I, I feel like once I beat a game... Um, depending on what game it is, obviously there's, you know, exceptions, Breath of the Wild, I'll, I'll honestly probably keep going back to that game, you know, every so often to, you know, to play it again and again and again, just because I love that game a lot. And I feel like that game just doesn't really get old because you can kind of play it in very different ways when you go back to it. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, collecting trophies and going back to a game and trying to do some ridiculous task that it wants you to do. To me, it kind of takes the enjoyment out of the game. Like, I want to play a game until I'm satisfied, and once I'm satisfied, I want to move on. I don't want to sit there and try to complete every little thing that they, you know, ended up putting, you know, in there. So, um, I understand people that like it, and I understand that, you know, these two things can kind of overlap a little bit, like personal achievements and, you know, getting these trophies. I mean, it could be a personal achievement for you to get a platinum trophy. Um, you know, so there's there's definitely some overlap there. Um, but I just think that, you know, I think more about the, uh, accomplishments that I've, you know, personal accomplishments that I've made more so the fact than like a random trophy, you know, like you got hit by a train in Grand Theft Auto. I mean, it's like, it's, <laughs> it, it's not, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that much to me. So um, yeah, I think definitely what you were saying, like how, you know, it's really the personal, um, you know, achievements and goals and, and all that to playing a game that kind of keeps you going back to it and keeps you, um, continuing to play games rather than, you know, these trophies that, you know, kind of give you some incentive to continue to play the game. Like, Hey, you know, you've completed the game normally, but, you know, have you tried to, you know, stack like, you know, a hundred enemies in Minecrafters. I don't know. Some some crazy <laughs> thing that you don't really need to do. I wonder if there's uh, people out there who combine the two. You know, try to personal best getting the trophies as fast as possible. I feel like there probably is a thing where I know there's plenty of speedrunners out there and they do their uh uh I don't know if this is still around or not, games done quick. Yeah. Good games done quick, bad games done quick. I wonder if there's speedruns out there like they start off with like a like a uh uh, maybe not Dark Souls because it's such a pain in the ass, such a time waste to get the Platinum Trophy, but maybe there's uh, certain games where they start the clock at the beginning of the game and end the clock when the Platinum Trophy is awarded to them. Yeah. Uh, I think I that is know. actually a thing. So that's actually yeah. pretty damn cool, especially when you do it for charity. Yeah. So this thing we're bashing these, uh, you know, accomplishments, uh, you know, the, the, the cookie cutter accomplishments may actually serve a greater purpose for depending on how people do them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, not not all bad. Not all bad. No, and I know that, uh, like, you know, if you look at uh, IGN, uh, you know, Greg Miller and uh, Colin Moyarty, um, you know, it went kind of funny. They had, like, kind of a competition almost as to who could get more platinum trophies in their, their games. So they would kind of compete. Like, you know, they would talk about their totals and stuff like that. So I guess it was kind of their personal goal to beat one another in terms of how many they're able to accumulate. But yeah. 
you know, even if you hear, I guess, uh, I know Colin goes back and he talks about this a lot where he wishes that he didn't play some of the games that were like super easy platinum trophies because it kind of takes away the, the accomplishment of it. It's like, yeah, you got the platinum just by playing the game and it yeah. wasn't a great game. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like big deal. Yeah. yeah. Like, so he, he said, he always says, you know, he wishes he could go back and just like erase that. But I think once you get your trophies, that's it. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're set. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that it's like having achievements and having a trophy system in there is definitely great for people that are, you know, extreme completionists and ones that, you know, like to go and, and try to, you know, accomplish things outside of, I guess, the normal, um, you know, in-game accomplishments like, you know, beating the story and, you know, stuff like that, trying to kind of go, you know, and, and you know, fulfill, I guess, those... Uh, uh, not really sure how to how to say it, but I guess kind of just like you know fit those guidelines in order to kind of you know get those trophies. So I mean it's it's cool that they have those in place. Um, I just know personally I'm not someone that typically cares that much for it, and they don't really mean too much to me. So yeah, kinda, I like seeing the uh, you know notification. You I like know, the sound. Bing, yeah, yeah. Bing. Whatever it is when you're rewarded. I, yeah, I don't even remember. <laughs> it's a little. It's kind of addicting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I think when you know to play games over and over again, you gotta kind of test yourself on how good you are at them. Yeah, um, like I think it's great because it it adds like kind of like a a little bit of replayability to games. Like if you were really interested in completing all those, I mean, a lot of games you can't. I mean, Dark Souls is great. You know, Bloodborne especially is a great uh, example of this, where you actually cannot platinum the game. Yeah, you can save scum to get each ending, but to do it the right way, you have to play the game multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and you do get better at it as you do it. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of keeps you going. Um, but, you know, I didn't want, I didn't really think about getting the platinum trophy. I just wanted to play the game again. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed the game that much that I wanted to see how much better at it the first time. It's kind of like Sonic. Yeah, which I think that's kind of how, I guess, most games should kind of, you know, most like, you know, developers just kind of make their games, you know, kind of strive for that. Like, hey, let's make this game so good that, you know, people want to keep playing it. People want to, you know, keep going back to it. It's not just for the trophies. The trophies are kind of a bonus. It's like, hey, this kind of shows that you, you know, played through it and you did everything you needed to do to get these, and that's great. But it makes it a lot more meaningful if you enjoyed, like, every minute of playing it throughout all those playthroughs. Like, if that's how good your game is, that people can just play through it again and again, even though they kind of know more or less what's yeah. going to happen. But if the game is that good, I mean, that's that's kind of an achievement for them. Right. Um, you know, making making a game that plays that well and is that much fun for, you know, the player to 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 do. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, you know, that's that's definitely something that I guess the uh the Souls games have and um, you know, certain other games have it too. Um, and everyone kind of I guess has different tastes too and and you know, if the game is worth, you know, going in there and and completing all that stuff then, you know, that's just how it is, but um but yeah, yeah, I, I think that it's really, um, you know, it's, it's a good thing they have those in there. Um, but I, just, I was just really curious, though, um, I guess what you valued more, just, you know, your personal, um, you know, accomplishments and just, you know, compared to like the the trophies and all that. Because, I mean, back in, you know, Genesis days, I mean, they didn't have any form of, you know, achievements or 
anything. You yeah, just kind of that's why play. I kind of I kind of bring those up because you really are testing. You know, those are my favorite games. Yeah, uh, and you, the personal things you set aside for yourself to see if you can beat or even do in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's keeping track except you. So. I don't know, it's kind of like your own thing that you can share in mediums like this, but um, you know, anyone can do the the standard stuff, what's listed for you in Steam or play, uh, PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, but no one's going to, you know, there is nothing out there. No one has competition out there that says how many lives you can get before you get the ice cap zone. Uh, that, that, I entertain, that I entertain myself with, and I'll, I'll do that each time I'll play it to keep this game fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't, you know, you only get a trophy that one time. You don't have to do it again. Um, uh, I don't know. It's not, it's, like I said, it's not bad. I mean, no, they, they both serve their purpose, but to really get a connection to a game, uh, you do need to set aside, you know, and if you want, if you really do enjoy it, find ways to, to, uh, uh, keep playing it again and personal, set aside personal goals for yourself is one way to do it. Yeah. Oh Yeah. So, I don't know about you, but I I think I'm all out of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll be trying to Platinum Trophy uh, Dark Souls Remastered. Um, not looking forward to it, because it does have that system where you got to collect things. Yeah. By doing a lot of PvP, player, player versus player, and it's just it's just exhausting. So they actually included that in their trophies, and you actually have to go and do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they, they do it indirectly. They uh, like make you get all miracles, and I think you have to get certain items to to get a miracle, to satisfy mm. that trophy. You have to do it. Uh, you have to get all those special uh, swords, all those special weapons. Okay. Um, I don't know. I like, I like seeing it there. I like seeing the platinum trophy there. As much as we bash the uh, the list of things, and like I said, well, we're not bashing them. We're just liking. Yeah. Pers- we're just liking personal achievements more yeah. than things that the game sets out for you. I think. Um, but I do like seeing it there. I like seeing a one hundred percent. I like being thorough. Yeah, and I imagine that's addicting in itself. It you is. Know? Yeah. Once you see it there, and the other ones, it's like, well, I kind of have to get it for this one now because. Yeah. I mean, I've set a precedent yeah. for myself. Yeah. You know, even like that, right? That's a personal comment. It is. When you talk, yeah. when you when you line them all up. Yeah. You kind of just want to say, hey, you know, I've got all these. Yeah. All the work I put in. Yeah. So, it is, I mean, it is really cool. It definitely is really cool. Um, So, I think I think that's all I have for the trophies. Um, Did you have anything else you wanted to, to add in there or? Um, I don't know. Uh, if you haven't played, uh, if you haven't played the uh, Spike Rush mode for Rocket League, I checked that out. Uh, you know, that may not last forever. Uh, if you're a Rocket League fan, if you're just getting into Rocket League, or you know, you know, I don't think that game is that expensive to buy the vanilla Rocket League. That probably comes with it. So test that out. Well, you still have a chance. I mean, the summer is going to go by like that. So a lot of these game modes and that, and that game and the, uh, how, oh, you know, man, I don't know. I didn't talk to John about this yet, but uh, you get like those special wheels when you're playing Rocket League right now. The summer of '86 wheels, like like this this blue grid on the outside i haven't seen and those. it's like a sun on like the face of the wheel oh my god they're very attractive very attractive up uh, so yeah i mean check check that game out they're doing a cool 80s thing right now rockley they've been for the past month yeah uh, it's not gonna last forever a few more weeks uh, maybe into the mid-august 
Uh, that's all I can really share right now. Okay. Well, that is good that you mentioned Rocket League because next week we are having a special Rocket League edition of Game Pinions. We're going to be talking all about Rocket League. And uh, make sure you guys tune in for that. Um, and if you guys haven't checked out our last episode, which was all about game soundtracks and if they are uh, overlooked or underrated, uh, etc., um, definitely go check that out um, after this episode because uh, I honestly feel like that was... Uh, I'm, I'm actually really proud of that episode. I, I went back and listened to it, and honestly, I just feel like... Uh, I feel like we did a very, very good job on that episode. So I'm very proud of it. Um, talking about accomplishments, you guys should go ahead and check that out. Episode 25. Um, you guys can find Game Pinions on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. And... Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be uh, kicking in some uh, some Rocket League stuff next week, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode today. So thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to, to coming back to you next week. Y'all come back now. <laughs>